5: No, it's fine. We we, wow. just, we, we make it. They just want to Netflix in. and chill. We, we just line up the entire population of the U.S. in a line across the U.S. and we shoot any deer that tries to cross the line. I think we should we'll do the reverse
4: and have deer shoot people who try to cross the line. It's the only thing that can protect us from the dangerous East.
5: No, no, no. no. Look, look. Well, I, I guess it works in East. In, in the West, we have to maintain the right to arm bears.
4: Yep. I'm, I'm of the opinion, given how dry it is in New Mexico, that we need to sink every part of the country east of New Mexico to give it a coast that can, that can keep it moist.
6: I wonder how much of this is going to get in the final cut. Uh,
4: well, if you live east of New Mexico, welcome to the ocean. <laughs> That's my suggestion. Um, speaking of people east of New Mexico, this is It Could Happen Here, a podcast where some of the listeners are east of New Mexico, even though I don't recommend that. Um, I'm Robert Evans. On, on the call with me is Christopher Wong, Garrison Davis, Shireen Lonnie Yunis, and then our producer Sophie. Today we're talking about terrorism. Yeah. We can do it in a little NPR voice. So uh, <laughs> recently, the same week as the Supreme Court... Uh, leaked a document stating that they would be taking out Roe v. Wade uh, and ushering in an era of theocratic fascism in a number of states. Uh, An individual or individuals unknown in Wisconsin attacked uh, an anti-choice headquarters building uh, with a Molotov cocktail and spray-painted graffiti on the side saying, if abortion isn't safe, then you aren't either. That same group or individuals claiming to be from them uh, later reached out to me through an intermediary and sent uh, a manifesto of sorts about the attack, promising uh, follow-up attacks within thirty days.
6: But they wrote, but they wrote in cursive. So <laughs> they did in... Who can say? Who can say if this actually yeah. happened? So we'll talk first.
4: I want to just go over first what what happened in like factual yeah, yeah. terms, and then we'll talk about the discourse around it. So basically, <laughs> there's this attack on this um, anti-choice like advocacy organization's headquarters in fucking Wisconsin um it was a, seemed to be a pretty good molotov in that uh like Garrison you and I have have watched a number of people fail to properly utilize molotov I've watched cocktails. a few people get ignited by <laughs> Molotov. Yeah. I've watched it is Likov easy to fuck ignited. up I yeah. watched
6: one not cop get ignited by a molotov. Yeah. I've seen a couple
4: um, not cops get ignited by molotovs. Yeah, um, they're 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 not like people can fuck them up easily. Whoever did this did not fuck them up. It was it seemed to be at the moment no one has been arrested. Now it's possible. By the time this drops, Wisconsin police will be like, oh, no, there was totally surveillance footage and they fucked up and we just caught them. Um, but at the moment, it doesn't look like that's the case. So it looks like this is somebody who carried out or some buddies because it's it, entirely possible it was multiple people, but carried out um, a very effective like action that did material damage to um, part of kind of the physical infrastructure of the anti-choice movement um, and ended without anyone getting caught. So that's the fact of the actual attack itself. Um, A person who claiming to be affiliated with the individuals or group who did this uh, reached out to a a source of mine who I'm keeping anonymous, but somebody who I've known for a while with a very good track record of being accurate and said, hey, these individual slash individuals have a communique they would like Put out. Um, and I was sent an Anon files link, which is a link. If you view it in a normal browser, you'll get some fucked up shit. Don't put it in a normal browser. I specified it's like you're supposed to, if you put it in Tor, it will download a text file, right? Um, and the text file is the communique. So using the Tor browser uh, for that link, you can get a text file in which they lay out number one, they name themselves. Um, and the name they've chosen for their group is Jane's Revenge, which is a reference to the Jane Collective. Um, which was a, an, a, a, a pro-choice group in the late 60s, early 70s that um, a- provided women with access to contraception and abortion illegally. A bunch of them went to jail. Uh, they were pardoned after Roe v. Wade, if I'm not mistaken, or at least If you want to know more about
0: out. it, listen to
7: Margaret Kiljoy's Cool People Cool Stuff two-parter on the drink collection.
4: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very well-timed. So they're calling themselves Jane's Revenge, and they basically said, hey, if you are an organization in the anti-choice movement, you have 30 days to close down your operations. Otherwise, there will be follow-up attacks. They specifically noted the long – and it's at this point like a 40-years-long history of terrorist attacks from the anti-choice movement, uh, many of which have assassinated doctors. Something like 16 people have been killed um dozens of bombs and bombing attempts uh, something like 100 acid attacks so they made a note of all that and said that like basically we will be um we will be responding in kind and uh attacks after this initial attack will be correspondingly more severe um, they also claimed to have a pretty wide geographic reach said they had folks in a number of cities um and uh, that, yeah, there's going to be follow-up attacks um, and they're prepared to pre- defend their bodily autonomy with violence. So that's that's the gist of what was claimed in the communique. Um, in terms of what I think about its legitimacy, um, I, I don't have any reason to believe they're not representing the individual or individuals who carried out that attack in Wisconsin um, based on the timing of when the communique was made and based on the fact that the communique is pretty consistent with what we saw from the actual action, right? So among other things, what you can tell from the physical action that was taken is that um, the the individual or individuals who did this were pretty well organized. They carried out a competent action and they thought there was a value in very clear messaging because there's clear messaging surrounding the attack. The communique is very clear messaging. It does not sound like a right winger writing up a fake communique. It's very um, it takes great pains to both connect itself to history, to frame its violence within the context of the violence perpetuated by the anti-choice movement for decades, um, and just in general, it's the communiqué seems consistent with the action that we saw in Wisconsin. Now, cannot say we cannot say I cannot say to a, 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 a statement of certainty whether or not it's legitimate. One helpful thing they did is place state that there would be another more attacks in 30 days. So we're kind of waiting. If 30 days pass and there's never any kind of follow up attacks by this group, then we can probably assume that this was either somebody bullshitting or that the heat got too too much for them and they decided not to carry out follow up attacks. Um, but we're all kind of in this holding pattern now to see what happens. My personal speculation is that. Um, they were exaggerating a number of things. Um, I think that the their claims about having members in a number of states and a capacity to strike in a number of states was more aspirational than literal um, in that I suspect the people behind this attack and this communique are hoping that by – Um, carrying out attacks, they can inspire other people to carry out attacks and credit it to the same organization, right? Yes. Which is not an uncommon tactic in the history of of terrorism. And again, this is terrorism. Like, that doesn't mean... I don't think uh, they have a point or that it's like fundamentally unjust. Terrorism is just like a set of tactics that different groups can use and it can be ethical or unethical depending on how you you choose to do that. You can attack purely infrastructure um, in a terrorist manner and I don't think that's necessarily unethical. And you can also attack civilians um, in a terrorist manner and I think that is unethical. At this moment, these people have not done anything I view as inherently unethical. They burned a building. Which I think is often justified, and is in this case justified. So that's that's my opinion on the matter. Let's open it up.
6: On the point you kind of closed with, I mean, yeah, they they showed effective direct action. They they did a physical thing. Molotovs are not the best way to do like to like arson a building, but they are good for a very quick attack. Um, It caused this whole media thing, right? There's a lot a lot of people talking about it. Then releasing the communique through someone who can give it a lot of visibility uh and then by by doing it with this with this name jane's revenge and saying in 30 days there will be more attacks in different cities the the message is that yeah like you can one way to look at this is if if they don't have tons of like you know members or allies that they know across different cities is that and anyone can do this like anyone can do this and call themselves by that name and be a part of this larger thing like it's you if you if you spread it around then that it can become like this this thing that anyone can glom onto. It doesn't need to be. You don't need to be a part of a member of a specific group. You can just do stuff and release communiques safely, and add add on to the to the to the specter.
4: Yeah, um, it's not hard to set up like a text drop in the same manner that they did. It is relatively secure. Like there's no perfect if you are committing terrorism, there is no perfect manner to issue a statement um but of the different things they could have chosen, this is relatively secure, especially doing it through an intermediary. I haven't had direct contact with of these people, but um we should probably note that there's a huge discourse that started before the communique came out, arguing that this is like a false flag attack,
6: yeah, that's yes the. That... <laughs> in in a long line of calling a uh, pretty pretty uh, well planned out direct action when it actually happens people will default to calling it an op or calling it a false flag um from a variety yeah. of people like there's there's like there's like libs who say oh this is a staged thing to make our movement look bad there's tankies who think it's like the CIA planning something there's random other folks who are like eh, i don't know if it's legit i think maybe it's like some uh, it's a lot of people get various ju- various justifications for calling pretty effective uh, acts of direct action, uh, and, and questioning questioning their legitimacy. I think some of this comes from because there's obviously
4: there's the bad faith elements of this, um, but I think the good faith folks who question it, there's a lot of learned helplessness there. This idea yeah. that because yeah. somebody did carry out a a, a a pretty successful direct action attack that that kind of did. What its intention was, then it has to have been the FBI or whoever. Right. Because um, obviously the left could never have pulled off something as uh, as cunning as throwing a single Molotov at a building and spray painting the side of it. You know, Um and I, I do think that that's a problem, whether or not you think the solution to issues like uh, the right-wing attack on reproductive health care come from direct action. The fact that folks almost can't conceive of effective action being taken by the left without the feds being involved is really an issue.
5: Yeah, and th- this was a huge thing during 2020. Like one, one of the things that we saw I – mean, there, there were so many just weird conspiracy theories and then the other thing that happened very quickly was – People became convinced almost immediately that anyone doing anything was was a fetter and infiltrator, and you got people, you got crowds turning people over to police. You got people on Twitter like trying to track down, um like who was throwing Molotovs and videos, and like one of the people they caught, they turned over to the police. It turned out had been like, had been the girlfriend of someone who got killed by the cops. Yep, and so I mean this stuff this stuff has yeah. has this stuff has real world consequences. It has already like sent people to jail. It has it has this enormous demobilizing effect i mean i don't remember people two people remember the, the okay the the the, the two to two big 2020 conspiracies okay the two big twitter conspiracies were um... bricks, bricks, and who's dropping yeah, there off was, the there bricks the, there in the protest? Yeah, 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 yeah. There was this whole thing <laughs> that people were like people would see a pallet Famous of bricks thing and they were never like, never oh seen God. in a major
6: right American next to city. a construction brick, <laughs> right next to a right yeah. next to a construction <laughs> site." They'll yeah. be like, "How are all these pallets of bricks showing up?" This there's like a construction site a block away. <laughs> you're like, "Okay, yeah. <laughs> who's distributing the fireworks? How do these fireworks get here?" Well, never mind, also, it's June 29th. ninth. Um, if you uh, look at the history
4: of like like the FBI, some people will mistakenly like throw the CIA in there. The CIA doesn't really tend to do like the domestic fuckery. um, They're international fuckery. But like, if you look at the history of the FBI fucking with left wing social movements, it's not by handing out brick pallets. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's not what they do. We have a lot of documentation about what they do and it's not bricks.
6: And if there is some secret group who's maliciously giving Mm -hmm. out bricks, so people attack, uh, throw them through windows or throw (laughs) them at cop cars, like, who cares this, yeah. who, like yeah. Ricks like, are getting thrown at cop cars it doesn't matter where they come from like the, the, <laughs> the, like the, people the, are the, still
5: choosing to do action yeah the, the, the best example of this is is the the Russian Revolution in 1905 the Russian Revolution of 1905 was started by a guy who was a police agent like his whole thing is he, he was he was he was working to create like poli- like unions that could be controlled by the state and he marched a bunch of people into a square and the police shot them and that's how the, and that's that's literally how the Russian Revolution started like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, like, there's a, there's a point, okay, there, there, like, there's two layers of this. One is that, like, there, there almost is never a conspiracy going on, and two, if the conspiracy is we want to push people towards doing things, it almost, it doesn't, there's a point at which it stops mattering, because... A lot, a lot of people forget about Occam's Razor when they are talking about these
6: types of things. Usually, th- th- the the more simple the answer the more likely it is the more the less involved parties the more likely the the more likely it is so if there's a choice between rad people fucking up an anti choice headquarters versus a government conspiracy to do false flag operations to make the anti choice to, to make the the abortion movement look bad like one of those is much more simple and much more uh likely and it's people just deciding to do stuff because guess what you can you can actually do that you don't need to yeah. Rely on these on these weird narratives to to like to justify your uncomfortableness at, at like at forms of radical direct action because it, it's it's it, people use that false flag idea so th- so they don't need to actually engage with what direct action will mean and if it is someone's moral imperative to physically attack like physical manifestations of these f- sources of oppression.
4: Yeah, I think you're right on the money there. I think one of the things that's most frustrating to me about this is. It it kind of suggests that a sizable chunk of people who ostensibly consider themselves on the left are like focusing their time not on doing anything and not on taking any action to materially change the conditions they're angry at. Um, but are instead looking for reasons to disavow other folks on the left and that that's like yeah. the primary, which is if you, again, if you like look, look at what we know Herbert Hoover, Herbert Hoover was saying about the FBI's COINTELPRO program was the goal of COINTELPRO, right? Yeah, that's, what um, I,
8: that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm just like, I feel like this promotes, I don't know, a morality like uh, race or like just like competition where – The only thing it does is just promote infighting when you have this, like, you're on your morality horse, but I think if you actually support uh, real change, you have to come to terms with, like, you have to do illegal things, and, like, holding on to, like, these made-up laws that someone made up about, like, how to achieve change is useless, and there's, I mean, like, dividing up... (laughs) A side that's supposed to be going for the same thing. Like that's – yeah, it's just – it's missing the yeah. whole point and people don't it, really – yeah.
4: If you look at the right, you've got all these folks who were like legal and, and whatnot uh, proponents of, of ending reproductive health care access. And then you have the folks who were doing repeated acts of terrorism. And the folks who were on the legal side of things didn't disavow those people. They were often affiliated with churches that did shit like auction off the possessions of like extremists who had murdered doctors and shit. Like they were – like even the most they would do is just not directly talk about those people. They didn't disavow them. They didn't like attack it because they understood – That a diversity of tactics was going to be how they achieved their goals, that it was a mix of pushing for these legal changes and carrying out so many terroristic attacks that it frightened people away from supporting um, abortion service providers and other kind of reproductive health care service providers.
8: I think that's Um, the biggest difference between the right and the left, though, like Republicans are really good at uniting on this big picture. And I feel like Democrats are not. (laughs) I feel like they just uh, I don't know. It's too, there's too much infighting, well, and that's why it's always fractured.
4: Part of it is that on the Republican side, you have. Uh, Republicans and you have the far right, who are also Republicans. And even though a lot of folks on the far right bitch about <laughs> the centrists and their rep- up, like the folks who are closer to the center, they all get in line for really radical stuff. Like the center of the Republican Party always yields to the radicals, whereas Democrats do not acknowledge leftists as having anything to do with th- with the Democratic Party or Democratic politics, other than the yell at them when they don't vote. Um, and on the other hand of things, there's a a lot of folks on the left who hate liberals more than they hate fascists you know exactly. yeah. um and it's it's uh i think one of those is a bigger problem than the other i think the the failure of the democratic establishment to like deal with the left at all um or make any kind of progress uh that could be seen as as actually, actually left-wing is, actually be is a left-wing much party. more of the problem
5: <laughs> yeah um, yeah but but i, I think i think yeah. there's, there's there, there, I think there are structural reasons for that, too, which is, OK, if, if you look at like, what is the basis of conservative alliance, right, if, if you're a conservative, you know, OK, if, if you're from the sort of like moderate business wing of the party, if you're from the fascist wing of the party, right, you can have one judge who gives both of you the things that you want, right? Because if you're if you're like the Koch brothers, the thing that you want is deregulation, right? You want to be able to just like dump poison into the environment. If you're on if you're on if you're an evangelical, the thing that you want is I. Uh, you know, to no one can ever have an abortion again. And, you know, if, if, if you're like a fascist, I don't know, maybe you want like we don't give food to immigrant children anymore. So they starve to death. And one judge can give you all of those same things because the 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 the, 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 the sort of the, the the class and social issues of the Republican base can all be fused together without harming each other. But the problem with 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 this, with the Democratic Party is that like the Democratic Party's basis is like what's left of the union movement but then also like a bunch of corporations and banks and like weapons manufacturers and stuff but then also like a bunch of angry students and also like a bunch of people from different minority groups and all of these people like have different interests and you know in the democratic party ultimately like the thing the thing that they care about is keeping capitalism going and you know if if they have to like if, if if that means that yeah I mean well okay if 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 your thing is you want to keep capitalism going like of course you're just going to throw your left wing out to the wolves right like it it it, it makes sense for them to do this because because the part of their base that actually matters isn't like the labor movement it's like it, it it's Goldman Sachs I, I think that one of the other things that causes people to have this like immediately anytime someone does grift someone does like if people remember like when when Nancy Pelosi's driveway got graffitied
6: oh yeah yeah with like now, the see
4: name. that
5: was like
4: that's never never that's horrible don't graffiti Nancy Pelosi's driveway that's evil yeah like it's uh, an Isis you did an Isis there
5: yeah everyone lost their mind and was like oh this is obviously mm. a false flag and it's like what well, you know but, but it, the reason they do this is because they have they have like democrat optics brain <laughs> Where, like, instead of anything being yeah, about politics, yeah, yeah. Every, everything is just about optics and optics. How does it look? How does it look? How does it look? And, like, the only people who care about this are, like, weird pundits. But be- be- because everyone's so sort of absorbed in, like, the Twitter media sphere, like, they-, they think that, like, the actual general public cares about the things that pundits care about because the only thing they're seeing is pundits writing angry articles about it. Like, nobody cared. Like... No, zero people
6: especially the graffiti thing because man yeah, people no like cares. dissect how someone sprayed an anarchist a yeah and yeah it's like if you're most, not aware like most... a big
4: chunk of the discourse re it being a false flag or whatever was that the They spray, the graffiti, painted, cursive. spray painted yeah yeah
6: which that they they did they did like a, a they did like um the anarchy a inside the inside the circle, um and it's wild because I mean spray painting uh what they said like if if, abort- if abortions aren't safe then you are not either, in cursive is a genius move. It's great because if you spray paint it in some like random punk font, that's easy to be ignored. You're like oh, it's just people doing like whatever. Yeah, people spray painting stuff, but doing it like methodically in cursive. Is is a is actually a really good choice because you're like oh yeah. it's like we're dealing with adults It's like like the, the type of things that people will go through their minds when they look at it is great, um, and it's just a weird denial to assume that no one who takes radical direct action would ever write in cursive. It's just a, it's like yeah. the most the most brainworms it, thing. And
5: it's also like it's also very clear like like okay so I, I am very bad at spray painting right but like I have I have used a spray paint can. And because Allegedly. I used a spray paint, well, this isn't alleged. I was, I was, I was, I was making, I was making banners for stuff. So this wasn't even like, okay. this wasn't even crying spray. This is just like regular spray painting. It's like, that is hard. Like yeah. writing that in cursive and having it look that nice with the spray paint can is like difficult, which, you know, if, if, if you think about this for about five seconds, this makes it more likely that it's actually leftist doing this because it's like, what? Okay, hold on. So the, the anti-abortion people have one person who's really, really good at graffiti. <laughs> And this they trained is person that they've assigned. Yeah. They they, they, they were sent him to him the anarchist
4: school in secret
5: <laughs> to like learn. It's like, it's nonsense, but it's like people, people just, people want everything to sort of like, like, and I think this is the other angle of this is that people think that like, have this wild overassessment of the capacity of the state. Yeah. And they think that anytime something looks slightly weird, it's like, Oh, it must be the state. Like, like one of the, one of the things that happened with, with the Brooklyn shooting too, was like, you had all these people, there was this tweet going around that was like, oh, the, the the cameras just happened, all all the cameras, all the cameras in New York were working except the exact one that would have caught the shooter. And this was this like, everyone circled around this and everyone was like, oh my god, this is a false flag. And then no, it turned out that, like, the guy had literally called the police, but the police were so incompetent that, like... Other people like saw him on the street and got to him before mm-hmm. like the cops did. And it, and the, the camera it turned out wasn't even like the camera that was out wasn't even the camera that like like they had him on camera. It was a different camera. But it was like everyone, everyone just immediately has this like conspiracy brain thing where they see like one thing out of context that looks slightly weird. And they go, oh my god, this whole thing is a, is a, is a state like CIA like yeah. false flag. It's cover so depressing. It, it's so
6: depressing because it's such it's so depowering. You're specific. You're, you're like it, it ties into the learn helplessness thing that Robert mentioned. Like, you're convincing yourself that we don't have power to change things, that we cannot take any physical action to change things, um, and that's a not great mentality to have if you want to improve yeah. the world, <laughs> if, or if you want to if you want to destroy the things that harm you. Um, you do you don't want to fall into that to that specific like, I don't have any power mindset because you turns out you can do stuff. It things happen. You can people threw a off and broke windows and did graffiti Shall we the say center.
4: cool people sometimes do cool things?
6: Yes, just like the um, name stuff, of the podcast. Do people
4: stuff? D- stuff if yes. You're
9: gonna plug the show. Plug the
4: show. Sophie, 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 Sophie. That's my Sophie. name. Sophie, uh, One of the things that's interesting to me, and it, it, it might hold some lessons for folks cons- thinking about radical direct action and, and what gets attention and what doesn't. So obviously, the, this attack has garnered a lot of national attention, right? The fact that and it, I think it's because there was both an attack and a message. There was another attack. And it's not 100% that this had anything to do with the uh, uh, pro-choice movement, Um, but I suspect it does. The Attorney General of Virginia, Jason Meares, on the 10th of uh, May, there was a – someone shot into his office. Like a bullet was found in the office. Um, It was probably fired when no one was there. We don't really know more than that. It is unclear as to whether or not this is involved with things, but three days before – uh, the shot was fired into his office. He had basically Catholic groups had been planning big masses to celebrate the leaked draft opinion and protesters had been organizing to protest the Catholic masses. And he had threatened to charge people who protested masses um, because he believes the right to freedom of religion trumps the right of free speech. So it was kind of like a fucked up situation. People got angry at Meares, Um And it seems kind of, noteworthy that someone shot into his office three days after this um well, and, i mean not,
6: also i mean there's been yeah. a lot of stuff i mean like on on may 8th there was an attack on uh, the organ right to life building yes yes um, yes which there was, was
4: certainly a, pro, a pro-choice yeah yeah there action. was there, yeah, yeah, yeah. there was
6: there was at least two molotov cocktails uh thrown and there was a break-in inside so it's like you can do things. You don't have no power. Like you can physical – you can interact with politics in a physical way.
4: Um, yeah. People do interact with politics in a physical way. Um, yeah, and, and,
5: and people, people have this assumption that like this is going to be incredibly unpopular. And again, I want to point out burning the third precinct had a higher approval rating than both presidential candidates. Like if, Which if, I mean
4: I, I, I again tend to advocate in 2024 we should elect the burning of the third precinct in Minneapolis as president.
5: Yeah. Look, every look, the the, the 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 way that works is the burning of the precinct takes office and then every day you burn another precinct so that so that you can actually have a president.
6: Well, well that is
5: how you fill the cabinet. Yeah, um, there needs to. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. You have to. Well, yeah. All, all, all the, all the staff mm-hmm. positions filled with. Different yes, buildings. all the staff positions.
4: Yeah. Are the, yeah, the health and the health and human services secretary will be the West Los Angeles Police Station, and so forth. Yes, I'm
6: real excited to see which one gets picked for the housing secretary. I am mm-hmm. I'm just on my on on my toes. Just um, yeah. It's, it's, it's exciting it's, it's, really, it's
4: exciting democracy can be re- quite fun
6: electoralism has some has some really cool really yeah. cool points um
5: yeah hey you you too could go in front of the national labor relations board and the national labor relations board is just seven is just seven on fire police stations yeah charred you bricks will win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. so
6: yeah I, I i we just we just we wanted to at least talk about this because if whenever a cool thing happens and a large swath of 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 people who are ostensibly leftists or even or even anarchists mm. default to calling anything cool uh, a a false flag or an op. It's like, well, like what do you want? Like, do you want people just to stay at home all the time and not do anything? Like, what's what's the end goal here? Uh, what if you're calling you, what everything that happens an op.
4: Yeah, and and also just like if you're going to if you're worried about ops and thinking of suggesting that something might be. What is your line? Is it just that people broke a law? Are you saying that if people do illegal things, that's always like a government op? Because that doesn't seem like the if you call yourself have a, an anarchist, have a word that doesn't seem like a good strategy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean,
8: especially when it comes to reproductive rights, like you're going to have to do illegal things if people are going to have to break know. a shitload.
4: Exactly, yeah. shireen so it's like
8: Yeah, very pick and choose. Yeah. Yeah.
5: I'm I'm a hundred percent convinced that like all of these people, if they'd seen John Brown, would have been completely convinced that John Brown. was Oh, not John Brown was for players. sure the FBI. Like,
4: he founded just- it. <laughs> <laughs> the original op, John Brown.
5: I, I, uh, I think there's an aspect there of also like, okay, if 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 you're on Twitter, right, mostly you're not doing politics and the 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 thing that you're actually doing on twitter is trying to feel smarter than everyone else and if you're the person that's like oh hey look all these sheeple believe that uh this thing yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah. an op or like oh i i everyone all, all, all these the people contrarian. believe yeah it's like and it's like yeah, okay you, you very quickly like spiral into just like every, every all all the all the sheeple who are i a smart person 9/11. finds this suspicious it's like and you're like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's, it's like it's just, it's just a bad like L- l- looking at an element of event and going, oh, this is weird, but in a way that is, oh, huh, isn't this weird? It must be the government. Like that's that's just a bad way of thinking.
6: Like about things. in in the mere hours, in the mere minutes after. Right. Uh, anonymous people broke into the uh, Portland Police Association headquarters uh, back in, I think, was July of 2020, just in mere hours, people were calling it a false flag, that the police mm-hmm. were d- dressed well, up they, as they, black they, block, they breaking into their own They credited as the feds. <laughs> the feds. They the said, feds. The
4: people had started protesting the feds, yes. Yeah, so they alleged that this was like, I guess, the FBI or Homeland Security trying to get protesters angry at the cops again, which is, <laughs> I mean, for one thing, if that actually, ever would a actually happened. Sounds like, great. <laughs> if, if there were to be a point where the left wing had the FBI fighting uh, or the FBI or Homeland Security whatever fighting with local police over who was getting protested, that's a win. That's a, that that's a, a big <laughs> solid yeah. capital dub for the team.
6: But no, people <laughs> for thinking the team. Like, like the FBI is a block breaking into the police union building and trying to light it on fire. You're like, well. Yeah, if, doing if, Doing
4: <laughs> less physical, let's be honest, doing less damage to that police union building that I have seen my friends do. When attempting to deep fry French fries, like <laughs> yeah, it's... I have watched people do more damage to their living rooms than that protest did to the PBA. But it's just
6: astonishing because, like, there was so many people at that action, and so many, so many, people using the moment to to actually gain like physical political power for a, a, yeah. a brief, a brief moment. Um, and to take that away from them is just a is a bizarre yeah. impulse, and I I would like to see it end, especially as we're gonna see hopefully see that people will realize that 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 direct action is going to become more and more important for securing your personal rights and securing your personal freedom
5: yeah well, and also i would say to these people okay if you want to be completely sure if that something is happening it's not an op do it yourself stop <laughs> yeah. yelling about it on twitter look do it yourself then you'll as, know it's not an op as but... a
4: general rule as a general rule look at france what do the French do whenever something they consider a right gets taken away from them? They burn downtown Paris down. <laughs> they light banks on fire. They, like, Paris, everyone who has gets elected to a position of power in France knows that if they cross certain lines, the capital will be ungovernable. Um, and there's a reason why French people have such quality health care.
6: <laughs> well... With 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 that, no, I mean I can't believe we're ending on the note be be like the French. I just can't, it is that is look uh, the French have made a, a lot of
4: good calls, a lot of bad ones too. Not trying to whitewash <laughs> France, but there's a there's a number of things they got
6: spot on. So and, anyway, yeah. we will we will be counting down the days uh, until that thirty day marker, and who knows, yeah. maybe other attacks will happen with people. Also, calling themselves Jane's Revenge because, and obviously, uh, this is something
4: that we as journalists have no opinion on, one way or the other. We're just reporting, just pure reporting.
6: Anyway, yep. listen to cool, listen to who, uh, cool people who did cool stuff uh, yeah. to, uh, to to hear about the Jane Collective. Yeah, and, and uh, maybe
4: also recreationally read about what different civilian groups are doing in Ukraine and the degree to which a wide variety of incredibly available tools um can can be repurposed in neat ways All right I think I think that I think that's the sode <laughs> That's a good sode
8: That's the sode
0: Bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs If you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online And hey I do too Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
10: I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map.
11: How much for a ticket?
4: Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Could Happen Here. And uh, it continues to happen here. Um, I'm Robert Evans. This is a podcast about things falling apart and uh, what to do after that happens. And we are all currently dealing with the falling apart of several decades of progress on reproductive justice, um, the Supreme Court leaking that um, they are. Coming for Roe uh, v. Wade, and um, yeah, today I'm here with Christopher Wong and Shereen lani Yunus and my producer Sophie. We have two guests uh, from the Bridget Alliance and the Midwest Access Coalition. We're going to talk more about what they do in a second. Broadly speaking, both seek to um, attach people who are looking for reproductive health care and abortion access um, but cannot get it easily in their area um, with clinics and the things that they need in order to get to the clinics, including transit and you know time and hotels, whatnot. Um, in order to make it easier to get access to that kind of healthcare in places like the Midwest, where folks have been spending decades making it much more difficult, uh, even prior to this recent ruling, to get that kind of healthcare. So uh, I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves. Um, you've, you've got the floor.
7: Well, hi, I am Odile Shalit. I am the executive director at the Bridget Alliance. And I'm going to introduce my counterpart here.
14: <laughs> I'm Diana Parker-Kofka. I'm the executive director of the Midwest Access Coalition.
4: And, yeah, so y'all have been, in some ways, kind of dealing with elements of uh, the post row world. Because, obviously, like, you know, we're all focused on the Supreme court decision that's in the pipeline, but, um, anti-choice activists have been working very hard to essentially create a post Roe world in chunks of the United States prior to this point. So y'all have been kind of dealing with the reality that a larger number of people are going to be living under for a while, right? Yeah.
14: Yeah. Missouri has been able to effectively ban abortion in its state for years now, I think, uh, there is maybe a handful of abortions that the one clinic there are able to do because of all of the trap laws, um, which is the targeted restrictions for abortion providers, uh, and the waiting period. So so people have to go to another state, Kansas, Iowa, or Illinois for Missouri. Um, and we've been helping those folks for years.
4: And um I'm going to guess this, I mean, just because you've been living in with this for a while, I'm going to guess the announcement last week did not come as a total surprise.
7: The timing of it certainly did, uh, which for Diana and I came at the heels of a, a conference yeah. that we were at, thankfully together, um, mm. which is was kind of just pure luck for us so we could actually commiserate together. But no, ultimately, this is not a huge surprise. I mean, I think we're all still waiting to see what actually happens in June, but the writing has been on the wall for months and years, if not longer. And, you know, as you were just pointing it out, essentially for organizations like the Bridget Alliance and the Midwest Texas Coalition, we have been existing Already because the protections of Roe are insufficient to actually secure abortion access for all in this country. So this has been our lived experience and preparing for this moment has um, has yeah, been a long time coming.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And I, I'm sure there have been a number of conversations that have been going on about what to do and how to prepare for this. Right. Because the primary change is going to be at least initially until some they make some sort of federal push that states that have some sort of functional access to abortion are going to be flooded with an even higher number of people in need of care. Um, Could you kind of walk us through what sort of steps have been taken to in order to kind of brace for that impact, so to speak?
7: Yeah. So I think a couple of things and, and the first to sort of pull back on that for a second is to say that part of preparing for what's to come has been Our orgs and the community that we exist in, this this incredible expansive landscape of different types of organizations that have existed for decades to secure abortion access, where the laws were insufficient, where um, people were faced with barriers like income inequity and uh, geographic inequity and the unavailability of providers. Um, This network, though, has existed largely unseen. And so a lot of preparing for what is to come is really embracing our existence, feeling affirmed in that and in our value, not shying away from the expertise within this community, which is held both by volunteers as well as staff. Um, And so I think a lot of the last couple of years has been focusing on really trying to harness that expertise and that knowledge and compassion and the fact that Many of the people who are leading a lot of the efforts in the reproductive justice movement are people who have had abortions themselves, which is a enormous um, and valuable part of how this movement moves and hopefully will continue to center the people most impacted by the fall of Roe. I think more specifically for Bridget and orgs like MAC, preparation means deepening our relationships with the clinics that we work with. They are critical, of course, and their sanity is critical to abortion access, is making sure that we have the sufficient funding to continue to staff, train, vet, volunteers systematically and mindfully. Um, And ideally do so in a sustainable way so that we're not all overwhelming ourselves with the sudden surge of need and the sudden surge of impact. Um, And then, you know, for Diana and I, even personally, it means deepening the relationships that us practical support organizations have with one another, because no one organization is going to be able to help every single abortion seeker who will need to travel. It will rely upon really strong and transparent collaboration. So... Those are some of the things that we've
4: been focusing on. One of the things that strikes me as a problem that's going to be, if not immediate, then then pretty imminent for y'all is we've already seen threats and promises from legislators in some states to attempt to criminalize leaving a state where abortion is illegal in order to get access to health care. How what what kind of preparation is even possible for that sort of world? Because it it does seem like we're staring down the Mm -hmm. barrel of that.
14: Yeah, I think the only preparation we can have right now is to expect that the courts will allow them to do that. Um, they're very creative now that they've seen SBH go into effect and hold on as the law of the land, even though it's in direct violation of federal law. Um, SCOTUS, the highest court of our country, uh, is the one that has been allowing that to happen. And so that sends a huge message to all these uh, forced birth legislators that you know, bring us your worst take on the law. Uh, We will find a way to let you keep it. Um, We're we're working with you (laughs) on this, and um, you just need to get bolder and bolder and see what you can get away with. Uh, So we can't really predict how they're going to do that. Although Missouri has. Uh, indicated that they're going to consider an egg as soon as it's fertilized a resident and um, a resident of the state that they have, you know, responsibility for protecting, um, completely ignoring the fact that it's growing inside a uh, complete human being that has rights. Um, But that's that's the latest that I've heard of them figuring out how to restrict someone's someone's travel. but it would require a significant shift in how we understand constitutional law and um the basis for our legal system,
5: yeah, and that that seems like something that I don't know like really genuinely seems to be on the table in this moment. I mean we have I think it's Louisiana who's trying to like part 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 of their bill is that they like literally it says that they can disobey the federal government, which we had a civil war about that we had we had a nullification crisis about that we like so yeah I, I guess i'm wondering what your impression is on like how far this can go like do do we get to the point where states can just like tell the federal government no
14: yeah yeah i mean that's what the architect of the ISP8 law essentially told the court is that they don't have jurisdiction and all the laws that they had passed in the 1800s are actually um enforceable and the federal government has no authority to stop them and uh there the fifth district and SCOTUS has (laughs) indicated that no maybe you are right maybe that is the correct way to interpret our constitution um so I I feel like all of that all of our decades centuries of um, figuring out what the law means for this country is just up in the air. And uh, we may be looking at laws now that are just more and more bizarre. Um, As long as, you know, the GOP and the right have control over so many bodies of our government, you, it really is, I can't even fathom. I don't think we can
4: predict what's going to come, honestly. Um, I mean, I'm also wondering, to put it crudely, will legislators in states that are currently committing, because we have seen a number of states, California kind of leading the pack, committing to maintain um, access to, to, to abortion and other forms of reproductive health care that are being threatened right now, do – do you like do you feel like you have a good chance that they are going to back you, especially in the event of, you know, laws that would potentially open people like you up to criminal charges just for trying to support people in getting, you know, reproductive health care outside of their state?
7: Is your question? Do you do we think that elected officials that are pro-choice are going to back us?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you like? It's entirely possible that we're going to see some sort of federal law that not just criminalizes abortion or even like prior to that criminalizes aiding people in seeking abortion outside of states that have banned it, right? Like that's on the table. How does that change the landscape for you? Do you suspect that like in kind of a similar way to how some of these uh, – some of the legislators and states trying to ban abortion have said like we're just going to ignore federal law if it contradicts our state law? Do you think that um, – do you think that pro-choice legislators in states, you know, like California are going to be willing to go to the mat and protect you? Or are, are we, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I, I I know this is kind of an unknown, but I'm kind of, these must be conversations that y'all are having, right?
7: I mean, I really freaking hope that they are. And if they're listening, please, please <laughs> prepare to do so. And it's been really heartening to see states like uh, California and Oregon and Illinois and New York and Connecticut, for instance, um, come up with really clear language around their support of not just choice, which was the language of the past, but abortion and are saying that and are starting to invest in things like abortion funding and travel to themselves actually you know put forth their own efforts to contribute to the people who will need to travel into their states um mm-hmm. and you know Diana was just speaking the other day with a bunch of elected mm-hmm. officials in Chicago so I, I think i think this is also why what i was talking about earlier in terms of orgs like ours coming coming into the light is so important is that we we're, we're going to need those relationships with those politicians we're going to need them to know us and see us and understand that we're a critical part of how we're going to serve their constituents and that, yeah, Yeah, we're going to need them to back us. Will they? I can't say definitively, (laughs) but I really freaking hope so.
14: Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully those, you know, as Odile said uh, just now, I was um, in a press conference yesterday. The city, the mayor's office announced this fund to support abortion procedure funding and practical support and my hope is with um, m- municipalities will talk to each other and give each other the models for doing uh, this protective, preemptive uh, support for people traveling to our uh, states for abortion care. And, um, yeah, I'm in with talks with the ACLU in Illinois to talk about potential um, bills that are floating around to even further protect uh. Abortion in this state, Uh, specifically, I know of one that wants to explicitly protect providers from being extradited or sued or shut down by prosecutors in other states that want to claim that they have jurisdiction because, like like I said, they figured out a way to give residency status to fertilize eggs or something, you know.
4: It's just completely fucked that that's kind of what we're staring at. Right. Like that. That's that's a thing that you have to be concerned with is like out of state law enforcement. I don't know. like, And and that's the thing. No one knows what it's going to look like. Right. Like we know that they have a vested Mm -hmm. kind of interest already in in doing parts of this through bounties, which is kind of like the thing that I'm worried about. Are we going to see like out-of-state law enforcement bounty hunting people trying to Mm -hmm. hook folks up with reproductive health care. And I guess that's just kind of an unknown at this point, but it's...
14: Right, and it it really depends on like our local protected state jurisdiction, like how far are they going to go to protect us from those entities that are going to try to come in for us. Um, Just just today, uh, one of our staff members tweeted about practical support funds and who to support throughout the country that provides the sort of travel logistics, uh, for people. And they got followed by a sheriff department in Missouri.
4: Oh, fun.
14: (laughs) Yeah. So they're already, you know, uh, targeting and surveilling, uh, abortion seekers and the people who support them.
4: Yeah. And of course I'm sure that there's a degree to which some of these folks are working with, um, shall we say like non-state actors in order to, to mm-hmm. be, like i know they've been prepping with that for a while as well Absolutely. um what is i mean one of the things that i i know because i've been having some conversations with friends of mine who are in like i guess we could say adjacently uh adjacent organizations to to where y'all work and who are at in some cases the convention you were at who are concerned that as Providing people with reproductive health care becomes illegal. Um, there's going to be a lot of fair weather friends kind of revealed, and I, 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 I am interested. Like, is this a thing that, in order to be engaged in providing people with reproductive health care, you have to be willing to engage in illegalism at this point? Like, is that really where we are?
7: That's a really interesting question.
4: <laughs>
14: <laughs> yeah, as as member, like as five hundred one c threes. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> looked at by our state governments, our yeah. federal governments, we can't engage in anything that's legal. Um, but people have forever uh, on their own done things that the state has considered illegal in order to have bodily autonomy. Um, there are people who can't afford it. There are people who are just so far from the nearest clinic that it, they can't even fathom how to make that trip. Uh, there are undocumented folks, uh, there are people near the borders that can't even physically move past uh, a border checkpoint because they're just trapped there and can't get care um, in other parts of their state where it's available. Um, so there that, that will be a thing I think that is going to increase because the need will not decrease. Um... And I, I do not, like my organization can't really say anything about that. But, sure. you know, personally, I'm like, you do whatever it takes to live your life and thrive. Um, laws are made up, <laughs> especially now.
4: Yeah, I, th- that is nice to hear. Because, I, you know, I I try to keep abreast of the, the sides of this fight that are, you know, working through five hundred one C's and and the like, and and engaging in electoralism, the people who are, you know, doing stuff like trying to figure out ways to um, provide access to like miso pills and whatnot to people, um, because that's just where we are. We've talked about the degree to which you guys have already been living in some people's future, you know, just because of the specific nature of what your organizations have been doing um and the degree to which you know you knew some of this is coming what has surprised you outside of just like the fact that it got leaked ahead of time about kind of what we've seen in the last week and change
14: hmm. 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 i think i am i'm not so much surprised by the response from folks um, i'm a little <laughs> frustrated that it took this moment for people to realize what has been happening in this country for the past decade, few decades. Honestly, this is this is a very long game uh, for the antis. But ever since Trump was put into office and started just flooding the federal courts with very young, very anti-conservative judges, um, and SB eight was a huge flag. Um, but I think I, I I was surprised that there was a mass amount of people that were going to step up uh, when the decision came out. Um, it's It gives me hope. I hope it's sustained for the many, many years we're going to need uh, practical support and abortion funds while we fight for our legal rights. Um, yeah. So I guess the surprise is a mixed, it's a mixed bag for me.
7: Yeah, I was going to say something similar that I think I've been pleasantly surprised at how well educated and informed a lot of our supporters and newer supporters are about as Diana mentioned, the existence of abortion funds and practical support organizations, that practical support is even being talked about is huge. We couldn't get this conversation into the media a couple of years ago. So like, this is really remarkable and important, but what's more, there seems to be also like a deeper understanding of why we have to exist. Um, it, It doesn't seem to be shocking people quite as much, although there certainly are still tons of people who are shocked by this. But for many, they're not shocked that for some, abortion has simply been inaccessible, and what those reasons are. Um, and you know, that's thanks obviously to a lot of the really hard important conversations that have been had over the last couple of years about racial justice and i think that you know it's a silver lining for sure but i'm i'm grateful to find that the the depth of the conversations is there now and hopefully that means that the commitment is going to be sustained in long term because this is a little bit of déjà vu for us in the sense that we've had little moments like these ever since our organizations existed. Um, when a single ban goes into place or is threatened to go into place, this like swell occurs. I'm using my hands a lot, which obviously you can't see if you're <laughs> listening to me right now. So I'm going to put my hands down, um, and you know, and that and that brings out a lot of really incredible donors and a lot of really incredible offers for volunteers. And, and then they tend to go away. Um, and especially when, when, Biden was, you know, elected, yeah. there was definitely this like moment where everyone was like, okay, we're cool. Right. We're chill. Yeah. This guy hasn't said the word abortion, but we're still <laughs> fine. And we're not, we're like the f- furthest from fine. So yeah, again, like pleasantly surprised that people seem to have, um, a sense of why we're here.
8: Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to bring up that website did Biden say abortion yet.org I think. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. One of our judges has made a been no. Yeah. I mean, it's just like it's so unfortunately hilarious to me um but I'm just really glad it exists. Um and then the, the, they <laughs> someone reached out to the someone in the Biden administration to make a comment on this uh, when the when the the draft was leaked, and they said, "Well, we tweeted it, or like whatever." It's and it's like it's, he said it once in a tweet and like once in like a statement or something. Oh boy! So I just think it's well. There you funny. go.
4: I don't know what more we want.
8: <laughs> but like, I just think it's important to what you were saying earlier. Um, how legislators in like Oregon or California, like it's so important they're saying the word abortion, not just pro-choice, because I think a lot of people are a lot of people are scared about that word for some reason, or it sounds scary to them if they're not that educated about what pro-choice means or what abortion means so i think yeah i have a little bit more hope seeing more people even saying that word um yeah because it's we really just have to pro-choice. take that. yeah mm-hmm.
14: yeah i think the statistic is something like the antis have been using the word abortion three times as much as we have mm-hmm. and that is why it's so stigmatized and difficult to talk about and yeah I definitely try to encourage people to say the word abortion, to talk about abortion with everyone they know, uh, just so we can stop hiding.
4: I guess kind of the last thing I'd like to ask, and we can we can cut this bit if this winds up not being something you want to get into. But have you (laughs) have you felt an additional need to worry about, given how public you are in your advocacy, personal protection um, as things kind of have heated up?
14: I, uh, you know, we were we were recently at the the conference that you mentioned before, yeah. um, and it definitely, with all of my colleagues in one place, it definitely made me feel a little vulnerable for myself and them. But honestly, the the, the people who are targeted are the providers by far. Um, I'm not worried about my physical safety. I am um, worried about the physical safety of our of our providers and the fact that. Our government is responding to peaceful protesters outside Kavanaugh's uh, house and talking and, and and ask for I think Susan Collins on the sidewalk outside her uh, residence results in legislation being passed to protect Immediately, yeah. they yeah. all somehow got together for once in their lives <laughs> to do something about the terrorists who chalk sidewalks <laughs> outside legislators' homes um, uh, is it's it's really demoralizing um, because we have our providers have seen violence and um, yeah they've seen violence almost every yeah. day I mean,
4: murders, acid attacks, bombings mm-hmm.
5: um, yeah Chris, Shireen do you have anything else you wanted to get into? Yeah, I wanted to ask one thing. So you know, okay, seeing the sort of increasing fecklessness of our politicians, even by their standards, and you know, their their response to this being let's give more power to the U.S. marshals, which is a great idea, idea yeah, worst Mm -hmm. idea I've ever seen. But what what can just people do about this in, in? you know, I mean, we we've talked about like giving to abortion funds, but like, what? How how can people get involved, and how can people get involved in a way that's sustainable over the long term?
7: Yeah, I mean, definitely give to abortion funds. Give to practical support organizations like the Midwest Access Coalition and the Bridget Alliance. Um, if you are interested in volunteering, reach out to your local organization. Um, there are a couple of really great resources for. Lists of those organizations and where they are, like the National Network of Abortion Funds. Um, And you do bear with all of us because we are handling a flurry of emails, and that's incredible, but we won't be able to plug you in immediately. Um, It might even take a little bit of time. But then Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, voting is still critical, especially in local. Um, in any local elections, especially if we're thinking about how we're going to prevent the possible criminalization of abortion seekers and of abortion providers. We need to make sure that we've got good judges and good local elected officials at the very least. So do not stop doing that. Um, Yeah, I think those would be the things that I would say focus on. And the thing that I always say, which is just like, talk about it. Like, I am totally that person who is like the downer at the dinner party talking about abortion, but be that person and go and talk about it and share why it's important and how it's not just about abortion. And it's not just about women. It's about families. It's about parents. It's about queer folks. It's, it's about immigrants. It's about minors. Um, we've got a lot to be worried about right now. So don't stop talking, listening, reading, consuming whatever you can. Yeah, and just to jump off that, uh,
14: if you are in a safe state, you're not going. You're not going to be safe forever. Uh, they're going to come after us. They're going to come after the legislators, the the supreme courts of those states. Uh, they're usually a thin margin um, as far as conservative versus progressive judges on state supreme courts. So find out who your local org is that is leading that um, voter turnout to make sure that people are voting for the right judges to go in. Um, And also I want to lift up escorts. Uh, Escorts are on the ground many days of the week. Uh, They will put you to work and they're going to be needed more and more.
4: Um, Yeah. I think that's, that's all very important and a good note to, to end on. Does anyone else have anything else or are we, um, should we, Should we let y'all get back to your very important work? Um, And thank you again for, for making the time for us.
14: Absolutely. Thank you for covering this and
4: talking about it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Happy to do so. We'll be, we'll be continuing to, to do that. And I hope you all, um, um, geez, I don't even know what to say. Like, I, I hope you, um, (laughs) I hope you fuck shit up for the people who are fucking shit up you know? <laughs> we'll
15: try oh, our very, yeah. very
8: best.
14: Absolutely.
8: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I hope the support right. doesn't, like, dissipate as, like, yeah. the, the trend goes away or whatever, you know? I think that's so disheartening if that happens, and, like, hopefully the flood of emails but not necessarily remains a flood for you, but, like, I hope that people are actually serious about doing something, and um, yeah. I think this time they might be, just because I'm, I keep being surprised about the uh, little things so i'm not going to expect anything anymore maybe people will will surprise (laughs) me (laughs) yeah but i really appreciate the work you do um so thanks for coming on to talk to us
7: thank you thanks
0: for having us bean dad the dress Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
11: I am the ferryman.
10: In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket?
4: Talk to your Zoom H6 about crack cocaine abuse. Some amount of crack cocaine is perfectly normal for a recording device to use. It is part of the recording industry. But everyone can overdo it, and if your Zoom H6 starts not reading cards or, for example, stealing from you in order to pawn your stuff to buy more crack cocaine, you might need to do an intervention. This has been Robert Evans and a public service announcement about the Zoom H6 handheld recorder. How was that? Are we good? Is that a good way to introduce a podcast?
3: What, pod- what podcast? depends on your answer.
4: <laughs> That's a great question, Sophie. Scholars have debated for decades which show this is, but personally, uh, it is the opinion of myself uh, and a large body of researchers at Oxford and Cambridge that this is It Could Happen Here, a podcast about how things are falling apart and how maybe put them back together one of these days, figure it out. I'm here with Garrison and Chris. How are you guys? How are, how are you all doing?
5: Just just absolutely splendid. I, mm-hmm. I'm i extremely excited that every time I leave Twitter, there's a new mass shooting. This, there was it's, like boy, 20 this has the been, past
6: weekend. It's been there, a lot.
4: There, there have been quite a few mass shootings in the last 48 hours, <laughs> and there's a non-zero chance there's been at least one between when we record this podcast and when you listen to it. Yeah. I'm not trying to be flippant. That's just a reality. Um, so I think we're going to talk about the two most recent ones, one of which... Um, was the mass shooting in Buffalo, New York by a 4chan motherfucking white supremacist, uh, very much patterned after the 2019 8chan shootings, particularly the Christchurch massacre. Um, and then the day after, I guess it's not technically a mass shooting because only one person was killed, thankfully, um, but there was a shooting that was certainly an attempt to be a mass shooting because he attempted to like, close the exits and stop people from leaving at a, um, a Taiwanese uh, church um, in Southern California, um, which was stopped by the congregation before nearly as many people could get killed. and um, appears to be, it's just come out, um, motivated by nationalist hatred of Taiwan by a, a Chinese man. Um, that's yeah, the it's, broad understanding of both. It's complicated. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I we'll get, get into that. Into that. But we should probably deal with them chronologically. Um, The Buffalo shooting is... It's one of those things. I made a big chunk of my bones as a journalist in the field that I used to spend most of my time reporting in covering the 8chan shootings. And after every one of those in 2019, I had an article within about two hours. I haven't written anything about this one. I don't plan to because there's not much to say. It is what we've seen before. Um, I know there's some debate over how much of the man, as there should be, over like how much of the manifesto you can take at face value, which is none of it. Um, and as to whether or not there might be something more going on here, but it is kind of my opinion from the information we have that this is the kind of attack we've seen before, and the kind of attack we will probably see again more than once before the year's over. You know, this is someone who was radicalized primarily um, against. Uh, the immigration or the existence really of people who are not white in the United States um, and believes that the best way to cleanse the country of people who are not white is to carry out mass shootings that will radicalize other people and that will lead further to the breakdown of civil society in the United States by pushing it kind of like hot button issues like gun control um, in order to further, you know, it's an accelerationist sort of attack. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I'm seeing here.
6: Yep, I mean it's, yeah, like like we said, it's very, very much riffing off of uh, Christchurch. I mean, at least mm-hmm. over half of his manifesto was like specifically ripped plagiarized, from the yeah, from that manifesto. Uh, which of course that manifesto itself was was ripped from a lot of other yep. manifestos. Yep. It's kind of yep. this just a series of like launching memetic language from one shooting to another mm-hmm. just kind of compiling into this massive conglomerate mm-hmm. that's all based on trying to convince more people to do the same act um that's really I mean, yeah. that, that, that's that's why when people are like talking about this and people try to limit the attention on the manifestos and that kind of stuff because it's it's all crafted specifically to get other people to do the exact same thing um y- it's yes. it's filled, filled with memes filled with filled filled with in jokes full of like in-group out-group stuff to Convince people to kind of go down a similar path, and all of it's carefully crafted that way. The one really interesting thing about this is that there's not only manifesto, but also like almost 700 pages of diaries that he posted as well, yeah. um, and logs from from like over oh, like oh, like like from a long 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 time, uh, tracking his inner thoughts. But also like again, he posted it, and he knew he was gonna do this. So there's no telling how how accurate that is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all it's all in this package that he wants to present to people. So a lot of the nitty gritty is not even worth talking about in a lot of a lot of cases.
4: No, and I, I'm not. I think there's, broadly speaking, things you can learn. And I'm also, I, I, to be clear, I'm not against researchers oh, studying, yeah, no, no, and no, I no. think it should be. Absolutely. absolutely. I am against just finding a thing in there and like posting it. Like when I when I made my post, I was pretty careful to note a couple of things that seemed consistent based on other aspects of the, like, things that he claimed about his radicalization that seemed consistent with what we were seeing. Like, he noted that he was primarily radicalized online. That seems plausible to me because of how fucking online the manifesto is. Yeah. Um, yeah like, and, and it's one of those, folks are not entirely wrongfully bringing up the fact that the, the Great Replacement white genocide sort of conspiracy theory that seems to have motivated this fellow is basically identical to shit Tucker Carlson says. That's not not that's, relevant. that's not but, what
6: radicalized but, him though I, but that's I, not what yeah. radicalized him. yes that's, this, yeah. this is not I've, a
4: dude who was watching fox right that's, like, that's something not i've been this.
6: frustrated by looking yeah. at the discourse because yes obviously tucker shouldn't be talking about this because he's normalizing this very rhetoric that you find in these manifestos but he did the, the, he did not find this from tucker this no. is like it's, it's, a, it's a whole whole different ball game um and when there's that conflation i do find that to be slightly frustrating um, yeah
4: and some of the problem with discussing this is the problem with discussing basically any of these attacks is that the mass media coverage of it is nearly always going to flatten it to a degree that works in the favor of the people who are using this as propaganda of the deed yeah and we can talk about maybe are there ways to deter that you know I've I've definitely that's something that I've spent a decent amount of my career kind of struggling with it's it's a tough thing to do because um one of the things that's very frustrating that we we've, we've seen in the wake of this attack and that we see in the wake of basically every politically motivated attack is a whole bunch of people from a whole different bunch of belief systems and sides immediately trying to spin it in order to push the narrative they think is useful for the attack to have. And some of them believe legitimately what they're saying. Like the fo- I think most of the people who are like, this is, you know, Tucker Carlson's doing, are generally just folks who have not spent as much time in the fever swamps as we have, and see, oh, Tucker Carlson's talking about this, this guy carried out a shooting, they must be related, right? I don't think that's like... That's wrong, yeah. but I don't think that's malicious. And then you get folks who are malicious with it, right? Like you but have all the
6: of battalion the, stuff. Is the, is the folk,
4: yeah, right? One of the one of the narratives we've seen form, particularly from what I like to call the shithead left, um, is folks being like, "Well, there was a Rod, the black sun. It's a." Nazi occulty symbol. People who are more nerds about Nazis will even quibble with that, but that's that's the broad strokes of what it is. Um, and it's it's a symbol that's definitely on some Azov gear. It's also on a has been on a bunch of shit well before it's there was been an Azov in battalion.
6: Stuff since the '30s, since the '40s. Yeah, it's, it's not, all it's over not, the yeah.
4: fucking place. And um, it, the reason he did it, the reason he had a black sun on some shit, was not because of the Azov battalion. Um it in fact he talked about wanting to break up NATO a bunch. Uh but it was because the Sonnenrad was on the chest of the plate carrier of the Christchurch shooter.
6: Yes. Yeah. But there's all and he's a big people, fan of the Christchurch shooter. There's all of these people who are like, yeah, authoritarian left or whatever, who are being like, "Oh, how can Americans condemn this attack when this guy is is uh, using Azov imagery?" And they're I, there's no telling how genuine they are with this. Like there's there's no telling if if they actually know what they're mm-hmm. doing or if they're just or if they're just being like if if they're purposely misinformed or what's going I, on. like it doesn't my... it, it doesn't matter, but
4: yeah, my 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 assumption with those folks is that they are doing it because if you are um a competent paid propagandist you want to always be pushing the narrative in a way that further's whatever it is your job to push and if yeah. your job is connecting Ukraine to every bad thing that happens and a mass shooting that has nothing to fucking do with with Ukraine or the Ukrainian government um if you can connect it back to them, then you're back in your wheelhouse, right? Because maybe you're not so strong talking about the fact that you and some of the people around you who have been friendly with fucking Tucker Carlson, uh, and he pushes a similar narrative to the one this mass shooter used. Maybe that's uncomfortable. What is comfortable is saying, no, this guy who did this bad thing is tied to these other bad people who are tied to this group that my entire career is about attacking. That's a much stronger position to be in, you know, if you're, you know, a propagandist. It's just like you see folks on the right who don't want to grapple with the fact that this was a right-winger who carried out a terrorist attack um, based on an ideology that even motherfucking Ben Shapiro has pushed elements of. Um, You don't want to deal with that, so you call him a leftist because— We we
6: saw the same thing with Christchurch. Yeah,
4: he made a couple of vague—he's not a leftist. He repeatedly identified himself as right-wing and as a fascist, as a Nazi, um, as an ethno-nationalist. Um but he made like a couple of vague comments that they're taking out of context and being like, see he was on the left. Uh um, which he wanted
6: to happen. That yeah, is like Which, which he which wanted to like, happen.
4: That's why he yeah. put it in there, right?
6: It it's like, it is like it is all part yeah. of the bit. It's all this it's 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 yeah. all of this like I like irony poisoned thing that they do <laughs> yeah. on purpose to give anyone a propaganda out or give anyone a propaganda in. It, 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 it's all it,
4: Yeah, if you'll remember it
6: before, it's not it's not new, but it's frustrating.
4: Yeah. In the Christchurch manifesto, Tarrant um, said that he'd been radicalized by Candace Owens, um, who's like a person who says a bunch of shitty fucked up stuff. I don't like Candace Owens, but like had nothing to do with that guy's radicalization. Right. Like that's not that's not where he's fucking coming from. Um, But he did it because he wanted to because it's fucking it's shitposting. You know, it's to muddy the water. It's to get people like it's to. It's to reduce the ability of people trying to grapple with what has happened to accurately see what has happened and accurately identify the problem and respond to
6: it. A big motive for this stuff is to cause this kind of social and discourse chaos, right? Mm -hmm. They want people... They want everyone to be confused, and they want everyone yeah. to be fighting each other and and, dis- and disagreeing um, on basic terms, right? Because the whole the whole point of this is to like encourage gun control legislation, which will get the right mad, which will cause people be, mm. to be more willing to do mass shootings or to do attacks against government, right? It's it's, it's all part of ba- like yeah. basic, very basic accelerationist, uh, uh, like talking points and and tactics. So and all, it, the confusion's not accidental. It's all it's it's all intentional.
4: No, if you. I think a good way to look at this, if you, like, fighter planes and helicopters in a combat zone will have a a type of countermeasure they will launch if someone's shooting a missile that's like a tracking missile, heat-seeking or whatever, at them. It's called chaff. And it basically, it looks to the missile the same as a helicopter does. So you shoot a bunch of these out and the missile goes and hits something that's not the fucking helicopter, but to its sensors looks like a helicopter. That's what they're doing. They're shooting out chaff. They're getting you to, like box with shadows rather than potentially landing a blow against, like, the central problem. And the central problem is a, not an easy one to grapple with without all that stuff around it, right? Because the the issue here is how—the way in which the internet enables radicalization, the way in which online communities are prone to radicalization, um, the way in which— uh, the conservative media and aspects of, like, just basic American history play into this specific people who want to do violence in this way for this reason, um, which is why the cops don't notice them, even when they're on their radar, which is why that, like, the the warning signs don't get spotted. Um, and the ways in which, I think more than anything, the ways in which The Internet has created a perfect incubation chamber for radical violence. And that is one of the stories here, right? Um, You know, people are focusing on gun control, um, which this guy bought his gun in the state of New York, which has the most restrictive gun laws in the country. Um, What's more relevant, even if you're on that end, is this guy was Deeply involved in like tactical Reddit. This guy was heavily involved in, in tactical videos and training videos in talking Slash with K. other people about the best weapons, the best ways to use them. And if you watch the I don't watch the video, don't. um, but he was competent. He engaged competently. He did the, the, he maximized yeah. his ability to do damage. He took out somebody Um, with a gun who was attempting to stop him. Um, That shit, the stuff that he did to prepare, tactically, worked. And the kind of tactical chunks of of Reddit, of the internet, which are not all right-wing, but a hell of a lot of them are, and a hell of a lot of them have gone in very scary directions in the last couple of years. Um, Not only do I suspect contributed to his radicalization, but I can say certainly contributed to his ability to effectively kill people.
6: Yeah, I mean, he had like over five pages just on what helmet he picked out. He had pages on what socks he was wearing, which is not, which is for multiple reasons it's one to make the actual act more effective it's two to inspire not like discourse like this but also to to get people to replicate what he did right it's yeah. crafting all of these symbols that people can replicate be like oh he picked out these socks that means i'm, I'm gonna yeah. get these socks i'm gonna get these it's, socks right? gonna, yeah. it's, 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 it's all this branding thing um we should take we should take a break and then i want to come back and talk you know, about some mimetic language stuff
4: you know who else can give you good advice
6: on socks oh I boy all right here's ads Okay, um I want to talk about some mem- memetic language stuff because this was all heavily riffing on, and I, I specifically use the term riffing um off of the Christchurch shooting. Uh which itself was riffing off other stuff, right? But he he, he yeah. went so yeah, far I as mean, to Yeah, I mean the
4: the Christchurch shooting was a copycat shooting of the uh, Anders Breivik shooting or at least descendant of whatever term you want to use. Yeah. But that's what inspired the Christchurch shooting.
6: And it's yeah. I mean he, he was the, 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 for for the buffalo shooting he was testing out different live streaming platforms he was doing all this stuff to craft a very specific image and like images are very are, are very powerful we've talked about like meme magic before if we if we want to get silly about it um but he was very very much involved in crafting these things that could be replicated visually um that's that's why he wanted to live stream it so bad it's, it's he just the, the same way the same way uh, Christchurch was and this is like really important for why we don't share this type of stuff, and why we why we specifically clamp down on this on this on, on this style of propaganda, and why we really encourage people not to share it, not to look at it, not to do that stuff. Because he he does in in, in the few parts of the manifesto that, that he did write, um, he does he did say like watching the Christchurch video was very impactful for him, which I don't disagree with. I'm sure I'm sure it was. He he it did changed great the course of my life. Yeah. Even <laughs> and he did great lengths to recreate mm-hmm. it. Um, And this is why we people who are like researchers and people who kind of try to handle this kind of stuff um, in in, like in their time on Earth uh, are so particular about this. Like uh, I think last year, like a year and a half ago, there was this film company based in New Zealand wanted to make a Christchurch film uh uh, and they want they were going to film a recreation of the shooting but they said like oh but it's to to show the horror and to show the impact it had on the victims doesn't fucking matter it it matters zero amount because once you put that language into cinematography you are giving them basically ammunition to help create propaganda which will get more more people killed this is why the same thing we see the same thing on fucking um Roblox. We see people recreate the Christchurch shooting on Roblox. It was actually a major problem like a year ago specifically. It was a huge problem of people recreating the footage inside this game engine. And it's it's specifically it's it's very it's a very powerful tool that they use to spread around. Uh, it's targeted specifically people ages 12 to 18 this this guy was 18 years old um it's he was heavily involved in online gaming he was a ha- really heavy um reddit user specifically um he loved discord so it's it's these are the places where, where it spreads e- even more so than 8chan now to yeah to and like, i and no I, I would extent. say
4: we na- and i called him like a 4chan shooter because number one he definitely was familiar with with Pol, and number he, two he was on there like, yeah. he he announced his live stream there i do agree with you reddit was a bigger Part of his radicalization, I suspect, and and a lot of, and Discord probably. And I suspect he did purposefully minimize the extent to which conversations on Discord were part of his radicalization journey in particular. That would be my assumption at the moment.
6: But for, for countering this type of rhetoric and this type of propaganda, right? Because they're they're trying to make themselves look cool. They're trying to make themselves look tactical. They're trying to look. Yeah. Tr- they're trying to make themselves right, look like they're in a video game. Make, they make it look like they're in a movie, right? They're trying to be cinematic. Like they, he was he was testing out different cameras. Um, he he tested out like a GoPro. He tested he tested out his phone camera, right? Trying to get a specific look. Um, and we we just we just talked about how he was, tactically proficient in some ways, but, in handling this type of thing, we have to when we're crafting counter stuff to make this to make this thing less likely, we need to not even focus on that. We need to make them look stupid, make them look juvenile, make them look like they're pathetic, make them look like they're stupid and silly, like they're LARPers. That's one of of the
4: things that saved God knows how many lives at kind of the high point of the eight chan shootings in 2019 was that fucker in Hall, Germany tried to carry one out and got the piss beat out of him by a dude at a mosque yeah um and was f- photographed the next day in court just covered
6: it's like beat to shit um that image probably saved some lives they they want to be cool they want to be mimetic they want to be spread around as a symbol and we need like culturally need to yes this is obviously very scary this is a very real threat for many for many people many people of color many black people many many muslims people (laughs) of different religions jewish people queer people but we need to when when specifically crafting rhetoric and propaganda against these things we need to make them look pathetic right that that, that, that's what it needs to be framed as because if you make them look scary and competent that's actually going to make these things worse, um, because they 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 love that, right? Like, as, as if if you film it, the Christ, if you do any kind of like movie about the Christchurch shooting, no matter how you shoot it, they're gonna love it. If if mm-hmm. you're showing people in pain, they they want that. They want that. It's that's the that's what they're looking for. You need to specifically frame this as these people larping and these people being pathetic and people being terminally online, um, and having bad social skills. Like you, you need to, you need to frame it in this way that makes them look not desirable because their whole point is to craft this desirable and visually stunning propaganda. Um And I think, yeah, that's, that, that's, I, I've been thinking about this for the past, yeah, the past day or we'll, so, because there's just been so much, but like, hey, I, I identifying these people isn't the problem, right? Like this guy, he was, he was talked to by, by counselors last year. Cause they were afraid he was, he was going to do a school shooting. Um, like there was a lot of the red flags and stuff, and like th- he was he was talk he was talked to by people before this happened. Like he, he wasn't an unknown factor, he wasn't an unknown of the v- vector to make to make this to make to you know to, to be this a person that can do this. But there's there's no way. People are very people are good at fi- finding these people before they do it, uh, but we're bad at actually stopping them from doing it once we find once we find them. Uh, there's there's really no power to stop it. Um, and interrupting any kind of radicalization pipeline mm. is really hard. So it's more about laying the groundwork to make the pipeline look pathetic so it's harder to happen again. But always countering yeah. this stuff is frustrating because if there was a good strategy, and we wouldn't be here. Be, be
4: deeply... I, I want to move on to the, yeah, the yeah, shooting it's time in, to in California. To the but at the, at the end of this, to close out, be deeply suspicious, if not outright contemptuous, Of anyone who posits a simple solution to these shootings, whether that solution is gun control, whether it's expanded police powers, whether it's fucking arming everybody so that they can shoot shooters, anyone who proposes a simple solution to this, this is a deeply complicated problem. Um, because we let a number of horrible, horrible, obvious problems go on for way too long. And the solution to this will be painfully, agonizingly difficult and will take time. And there is there is not a simple, all-encompassing way to deal with this. Um, one of the things that you can do right now to better prepare yourself to potentially deal with this problem is take a stop-the-bleed course, carry an IFA- IFAC and a gunshot wound kit. Um, as often as possible. And that continues to be my best immediate advice to people um, because that there's no downsides to doing that. And it, it could and does save lives in other shootings. All right, let's
5: move on.
6: In other news,
5: <laughs> in other news, the next shooting. Yeah. <laughs> Hooray. Yeah. Okay. This is a weird one. um, And I I think the thing we need to, make clear up front is that this happened yesterday. Um as a time of recording. Details are still yeah, time of recording. Details are still emerging and it's weird. There's a lot of potential to So so for, for people who don't know, um a Presbyterian church in California was attacked by a, a, a Chinese guy. This is this is a Taiwanese church. Um it's mostly senior citizens and I okay, so there's there's a few important things up front that people should probably understand about this. One is that okay, so Taiwan Taiwan is ruled by military dictatorship, for, for like basically the, the the better part of of the post World War II period, it is ruled by military dictatorship run by the Nationalist Party, the KMT. The KMT is extraordinary in in this period. It is extraordinarily violent. They sat. Assa- they assassinate people all over the place they kill people on american soil they kill they train death squads in latin america and you know they're 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 known for the sort of human anti-communism but eventually they're sort of toppled by revolution isn't quite the right word but as you know the, the KMT as a party is still around today and is one of the two sort of major like taiwanese political parties but they're not like the sort of desk, they're not exactly the sort of desk squad mafia party that they were through most of the twentieth century. Um, the the sort of the, the the sort of progressive forces that worked to overthrow the dictatorship, a lot of them coalesce into a party called the DDP. And one of the th- things about the DDP is, and there's a lot of sort of complicated Taiwanese political stuff here, but they are very, very closely connect- connected to the Presbyterian Church in a lot of ways. And this, I, I i don't know the specifics about this church, but there is, there is a very strong connection between, and then the, the, the GDP are okay. Pro independence is putting it too strongly, but if you're a pro independent, like you, you want Taiwan to be an independent country and you don't want them to sort of like either continue. Well, okay. This, this is the problem with Taiwanese politics. It's enormously convoluted. I, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on at some, at any time. And this, people are going to get mad at me for the supplications I'm making, but yeah, the, the short version of the story is that the sort of anti CCP pro independence E forces are, and the sort of like progressive movement is sort of lumped into the DDP. And those are the people who are getting shot. Yeah. Like, because, yeah, because again, there's, there's this very strong connection between Presbyterian church and the DDP. Um, and the KMT, who again, I mean, okay, they've had an extremely complicated relationship with the Communist Party over the last hundred years. It's incredibly baffling, but they've basically swung around towards being more favorable to China. And there are there are some fact extremist factions of it that are that support unific- like just unification. Um, what seems to have happened here is. Okay, so this the, the the shooter's family seems to have been like deported from China to Taiwan, and he like did not like it in Taiwan, and 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 this is where it starts to get very murky. Um, the the police statement we have says that it you know it's about sort of racial like it's it's it's, it's, it's and anti Taiwanese animus, but that can mean a lot of things, and. Yeah, and this this again. I I keep saying it's murky, and it's because it's it's genuinely murky. There's a chance that this is one of one of the things that's been happening since the Hong Kong protests is uh, a solidification in mainland China of sort of anti of anti-Taiwanese sentiment has sort of lumped in, in in this sort of like nationalist anti-Hong Kong thing. There was there was a hardening of rhetoric against yeah, yeah. Uh, Taiwan, but also there's a lot of there's a lot of people in Taiwan like, especially KMT hardliners on the hard right who like really, really, really intensely hate like the sort of prog- like the the sort of progressive anti CCP pro independence people. Sure. And you know, and this is something we don't we don't know what his affiliation is. He was like in his like no. he was like in his like his sixties, right? Yeah. Well, and and this is this is this is this is weird because like, there's a lot of things that that could be true about this because of how old he is. Like. Again, you know, I mean, he, he he is around when the KMT is is straight yeah. up a death squad party, right? Yeah, yeah. So it could be that it could be he's sort of like independently radicalized. There's been some like rumors might be too weak of a word, but there 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 have been some kind of sketchy reporting that like his ex was leaving for Taiwan and that that may have played a part in it, but. You know, violence between the KMT and people who don't like the KMT is a thing that there was a a very large amount of in the U.S. for a lot of reasons. And even though the KMT is sort of like, I mean, their alignment to China has like flipped in the past about 40 years. uh, I don't know. I'm really, really desperately hoping that this isn't going to set off. I mean cuz I mean there th- there's already been a lot of especially around Hong Kong there's been a lot of physical violence like people attacking each other at protests about between for example people who spoke about their Hong Kong protests and uh Chinese like CCP nationalists but this is something different very weird very embedded in the Taiwanese context and I don't think we fully understand What's going on here? Um, the other thing again is like this guy, he, like he lived in Taiwan, like he he was speaking Taiwanese, like when when he was essentially like going into this church to infiltrate before he shot everyone. So like he, this isn't like this this this, this isn't, and, and I think people are reporting it like this because they don't know what's going on. But like this this isn't a case of like a guy who is from mainland China who like decided that he hated Taiwanese people. Like this he he was there, he like he, sp- he speaks he speaks Taiwanese, he like. Un- understands the Taiwanese political situation very in depth, which presumably is why he targeted the specific church. But other than that, it's, it's the motives are still kind of murky. And this is the other problem with it, which is that like the sheriffs, like there's no way that the sheriffs have any idea what they're looking at. Like they, they've been apparently reading his personal notes and it's like, I don't trust their analysis. Of it Good because, lord, no. Yeah, like these... If you weren't
4: here, we would have to find someone else who understands that conflict in order to talk about it. I don't feel comfortable like, trying to figure out or analyze that guy's notes. I sure as shit don't trust some fucking sheriff's oh, yeah, deputy no. to do
5: it. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, this stuff is... <laughs> like, yeah. um, I don't know. Yeah, and, and I think that that's... I don't know. I will say, like, I, this I think was like the worst possible scenario for like, what that shooting is about, because... This is a kind of, this is a kind of violence that was really intense, like right after World War Two, and sort of like, and, and you know, there, there's been periods where, like, yeah, I mean, it, people have been bur- like, people have gotten killed here, but it hasn't been that violent in a long time, and I don't know. I'm I'm hoping this is just one guy who had a particular grievance who I don't know, like was was pushed by sort of external factors but if this is a sign of like if, if this is a sign of sort of anti Taiwanese, like national well, okay so th- there's one other thing that that we need to talk about because that's unclear because th- there's two kinds of potential Chi- like right-wing chinese nationalism at play here and it's unclear which one's happening because there are there are people who are right-wing chinese nationalists who are like pro ccp right but there's also a kind like a, a kind of like it, it, it shifted, but there's also like a a a like a, a KMT nationalist-based right-wing Chinese nationalism, which favors sort of like reunification with China, but is is not the same thing as as the sort of mainland nationalism and has its own particular, like very local political grudges, like with, with the DDP and with the sort of like progressive E movements in Taiwan and I don't know anything beyond that is kind of like trying to figure out which one it is. Like we just don't know unless the police, unless the police actually decide to like show us this guy's notes or like give us recordings of what he's been saying. Uh, We're not going to know. And maybe, maybe by the time this is out, like there will be more stuff, but right now it's very muddled, very bad. The fact that this guy also, I think, was an American citizen, but was born in China has gotten every uh, like even even the Chinese media outlets are saying extremely weird stuff because they're confused by it. So it is a it is a muddled is a muddled mess. <sighs>
6: It's, I mean, and in, everything about this last weekend's been muddled. There's been so many different mass shootings this weekend. Yeah. There's been people being paranoid about copycat mass shootings. You know, uh, yesterday there was reporting that uh, a, a gunman entered a church in Buffalo. Um, that was uh, not actually true. It's someone, someone in the church yelled, um, uh, "Like, there's a gunman or, or something," or like, "Um." Or like get the gun down or something, um, and it caused people to create this this kind of rumor. But that, that there wasn't actually someone with a gun. It was it was this someone was like reacting to the sermon that was that, that was being had. Um, but yeah, everyone's been super paranoid about yeah. every stuff, all this kind of stuff. As as they should be. So, so sorting through sorting through all this stuff is very complicated, and uh, not a great time because it's not it's not fun. Um, and we shouldn't have to do it, but. It sucks. <sighs> and do you think it's also worth noting that uh, the police did not stop? Uh, I I I know specifically they did not stop the one in the church. Um, Any of them. The the uh, the pastor yeah. a pastor oh, wow. uh, a pastor uh, hit the hit, hit the him with a fucking with a chair. chair. Yeah. yeah. Hit him with yeah. a steel chair. And, yeah. then the, and then they hogtied him with an extension mm-hmm. cord, and then the police came, which is pretty. Which rare. is um,
4: so dope. Um, I'm sorry yeah. they were ever in that position but they should that's, never have to be in that position yeah. but
6: it turns uh, uh, out more and more people are having to do and stuff it, themselves yeah.
4: because... it, it, it's not also the first time that a mass shooter has been stopped by someone hitting them with a chair if I'm not mistaken that's how the Gifford shooter was stopped eventually or part of how he was stopped is somebody fucking decked him with a chair it's, um, yeah, it's really useful works. Yeah. it's really useful yeah.
6: to have something beyond just your limbs Yeah,
4: um, if someone is trying to shoot you with a gun ideally you get away, but if you can't get away, trying to hit them in the face with something heavy is certainly a a choice that has saved a number of people's lives.
5: God, what what an absolutely dog shit country.
4: It's not a great country. When I, oh. you know, I, I noted earlier, anyone trying to sell you like simple solutions, and I mentioned gun control and that, which is not to say that like the outrageously easy, how how ridiculously easy it is to get any kind of gun in this country. Obviously, that's a factor in these shootings. My... My um, hesitance to take gun control as a, if you'll forgive the term, magic bullet to fix any of this is, number one, the sheer number of guns that are already propagated. Number two, the fact that a lot of gun control measures boil down to making it harder for poor people to get guns, and neither of these shootings seem to have been poor people (laughs) shooting up um, folks. And uh, just also the fact that while some states are capable of passing additional gun control, number one, New York's basically done everything it's constitutional to do, re. restricting gun ownership. Um, and federally, Biden and their Dems can't protect Roe v. Wade. They're sure as shit not going to pass any federal And that's uh, federal specifically what measures. these
6: people want as well. Like yeah. they're specifically doing yeah. this to get this stuff started so that it increases political <laughs> yeah. tensions.
4: Whether or not to agree with my fundamental claim, you don't have to. You can believe that if gun control were to be passed, it could be the solution, but it's not gonna be. And so, like, as as regards those of us trying to survive, um, we have to look in other directions because you're not gonna get an assault weapons ban. It's just not happening.
6: Yeah, I mean, I uh, the one good, I I I, I don't wanna say good thing, but. It has been uh, nice to see people slowly uh, dropping the whole like lone wolf terminology. Yes, that is a positive development because these are not, not fucking lone wolves. Not a lone wolves. wolf. It's it's part of a very it's a part of an intentional effort to cause these things to happen. The, the, part the the groups may be decentralized, but they are not lone yeah. wolves by any yeah, stretch of the are, imagination. They are, but they
4: yeah they are decentralized and acephalous, but they are deeply, deeply sophisticated and connected. Yeah, just anyway. not. In a way, you can drone strike easily.
5: Well, yeah, and and I think I I'm, I
4: would just... have some target suggestions, Garrison.
5: <laughs> anyway,
6: get an IFAC, mm-hmm. uh Do stop the bleed. Get an ifac and, Do stop and, the bleed. And don't don't feed into their propaganda in the way that they want. Don't feed into
4: their propaganda. Um, organize with folks in your neighborhood.
6: This and sucks. Ca-
4: Yay! <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, kids, adults, boys and girls, and individuals of non-binary or other gender identities, uh, cats who happen to be listening in, um, Airwolf, the helicopter, if you're listening in, everybody, every sentient creature listening, you know, uh, I do believe that things can get better. So part of that is not letting the the crimes that these, the things that these people do, like part of the purpose of an attack like this is to make people feel hopeless and overwhelmed. It's to black pill you, you know, to, to, to utilize some of their terminology. So the way to fight against it is, among other things, if you're talking about immediate things you can do, uh, go out and do something nice to help people.
5: Yeah, um, and you know, I, I would say like, as, as a sort of like one brief last note like yeah like in Taiwan they overthrew the dictatorship and oh hey it turns out people stopped getting assassinated by the KMT on mm-hmm. American soil so you know over, overthrow your governments and you too mm-hmm. can make peace with your enemies yeah yeah overthrow your government overthrow another government you know yeah. it's
4: all good it's all good baby
0: Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
10: I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket?
6: Hello, everyone. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the podcast about things falling apart and sometimes how we can put them back together. Uh, today, it's uh, me, Garrison, uh, Chris, our producer Sophie, and uh, Andrew joins us once again.
11: Yay! I love that guy.
6: Oh, me too! <laughs> me too!
11: Hi, everyone. Um, welcome Hello. to another episode of Andrew talking about... Whatever he feels like talking about, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode, um, I am happy to announce that I finally, finally finished Dawn of Everything by Dave Graber and David It took It took a while, you know, there were some points in time, some weeks that just went by where I didn't even like make a dent. Um, you know, life got in the way and stuff, but I finally, finally finished it. And now I get to talk about it and say you know, with some authority that I've read don't have everything, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a very dense book, but um, it was 100% worth it. I mean, there are some critiques that I've been digging into by some um, authors in the field. Um, and so I highly recommend people look for critiques as well, not just, you know, taking it and consuming it wholesale, but th- in addition to those critiques, like armed with those critiques, um, such as by people like... Um, what is politics on YouTube, and also a couple of academic writers as well. I think you could get a lot out of the book, and I certainly have.
5: Yeah, this is a, this is a this is a very good book, and I'm I'm excited to talk about it because I read it like oh it was a while ago now, like it's like six, five months ago or something. Oh wow! I've been, I've, I've been like ashamed <laughs> no. to talk about it. I've been like waiting for the chance.
6: I've I've been tr- I've been I've been picking up bits and pieces of it but unfortunately my book list to get through is uh, way too long at the moment so I've not <laughs> been able to actually dive fully into the text itself um but it is definitely on my list after I get through my 20 other books I need to read for my job
11: <laughs> yeah it's a lot it's a lot um at least we get to read books for a living or yeah, something maybe. adjacent to that um and I, mean, I- It is a difficult book, I would say, to like discuss in its entirety. And I didn't I don't intend to not to read any parade or anything, Chris, but I don't intend to talk about the entire (laughs) book, you know, because that's like several hundred pages. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and each chapter covers like so, so much. Um, but I actually want to talk about chapter four in particular, um, where the authors explore the concept and the origins, in a sense, of cultures um, in one particular segment. I mean, there are a lot of mysteries of the upper Paleolithic that we don't know, right? I mean, that's why they're mysteries. Um, but, you know, we've come to learn, you know, through the course of the book that, you know, this assumption that everything was just these small, tight-knit bands, um, and that was just the entirety of the human social arrangement until states, you know, at least... It's new to the layman to realize that this is not necessarily the case, you know, Um, that there is a lot more um, political, structural, you know, diversity in that time period. We don't know at that point in time, you know, what languages people were speaking. You know, of course, linguists have been able to like reconstruct like proto-languages and stuff. And I mean, I'm just a hobby linguist just like I'm a hobby everything else but I think it's been really cool to see how linguists are just able to do that like can we just take a second to realize that like linguists are able to take scraps of existing languages and just kind of piece them together to get a sense of like how they're related like how do y'all do that Um, (laughs) Um, there's a lot we don't know right we don't know about their language we don't know about their myths you know um, their conceptions of the soul what their favorite foods were I mean, we know they ate, but we don't know what, like, Joe Skeleton thought about his breakfast that morning. But what we do know is that, you know, from the Swiss Alps to Outer Mongolia in the Upper Paleolithic, people were using a lot of the same tools, um, playing a lot of similar musical instruments, carving similar, rather interesting female figurines, um, wearing similar ornaments and conducting similar funeral rites. And there's also reason to believe that people actually traveled a lot more than we would expect them to do and actually traveled longer distances than we would expect for that time period. I mean, we don't have, they didn't have rather, you know, like cars or, or chariots or trains or planes or anything like that. So to think that these long distance, um, journeys were occurring, you know, places like Australia or in like North America is just really interesting to think about.
5: Yeah. I was wondering if you can talk about like one of the things I thought was really interesting about this is the way that they talk about culture areas where you have these yes. like, yes. Yeah. You have these like very large, I mean like almost like like half continent sized areas where people are speaking similar languages, but like the same language and you have these like, you have like these clan structures that are like you know, you 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 can go from like you can go from like Missouri and you can end up in like Mississippi and you'll be in a place where they still have like, you know, the, the sort of like four basic like clan lodges are still the same and you'll meet people who are like right. from your clan. And he he has this really interesting line about how like sort of counterintuitively like the world's gotten like the world, like, even even when there was, like, people spread over geographic distance, like, the world sort of got larger as, as technology progressed and not sort of, like, smaller in the way that people sort of think about it because, like, in, in I don't know, instead of there being these sort of, like, mega, like, culture areas, where you can go from one place to another and you'll, there'll be people who speak the same language and you'll, you'll, you can sort of slot into the like, systems that are there, you suddenly have this, like, incredible diversity of stuff.
11: Right, right. So, I mean, specific to, like, North America, you know, um, where you had all these different clan structures, we usually tend to think of, um, you know, these groups as, and, you know, especially, like, your immediate relations with people that, you know, it's, like, close skin, family, that kind of thing. Um, But... There's actually at least in some studies of hunter gatherers there's some suggestion that their composition can be quite cosmopolitan. So you know you have these these groups and biological relations might only make up a small percentage of like total membership. They're actually drawn from a wide pool of individuals of a larger stretch of area. and you know not all of them even speak necessarily the f- same first language. Um, there's this YouTuber, an uh, Indigenous anarchist YouTuber named Twin Rabbit, and he had this excellent, excellent video. I need to rewatch it on Plains of Sign Language, which is this um, method of communication that Indigenous Americans um, used across, you know, the Plains to conduct trade and diplomacy and discussions, even if they didn't share the same language. Um, in Aboriginal Australia. People were able to travel halfway across the continent, moving across people who spoke entirely different languages, and still find you know camps that had people of you know their same totemic moiety, you know, and those people were treated like their brothers and sisters, you know. So like no hanky panky, but you know they had this this you know cross continental bond of like hospitality. From the Great Lakes, you know, to Louisiana, bayous, you could find settlements of people speaking entirely, entirely separate languages, unrelated to their own. And yet still, you will find, you know, bear clans or elk clans or beaver clans that were obliged to host and feed them, you know? um. And we could only really guess as to, like, what kind of systems were like and how those systems might have worked 40,000 years ago, you know, in the Upper Paleolithic, but... What we do see with the, you know, similarities and material um, uniformities and stuff um, of these different tools and musical instruments and stuff suggests that there might be a bit of a similar system in place at that time. Roughly around like 12,000 BC, we start seeing like new pottery, you know, getting dropped. We starting to see the outlines of more specific cultures in specific areas new stone grinding tools, uh, new ways of preparing and eating wild grains and roots and other vegetables, um, different ways of chopping, slicing, grating, grinding, soaking, draining, boiling, and storing, smoking, and preserving meats, plant foods, and fish. And so then we start to see something that um really brings people together, and that is cuisine. And cuisine, you know, being... The birth of cuisine being the birth of, like, really more specific cultures, um, you know, the kinds of soups and porridges and stews and broths and basically what they were talking about was the way that people who like wake up and eat fish stews every morning, tend to, you know, develop a different sense of themselves in relation to their world compared to people who might wake up in the morning and eat some porridge with like berries and wild oats. You know, and then from there they start to develop different tastes in in clothing, you know, in in dancing, and drugs, and hairstyles. Um, I remember later on in the book, um, the David's point out that some Indigenous, um, Native American groups were actually known for specific hairstyles, and I kind of knew that based on the fact that you know we tend to associate Mohawks with people, you know, Mohawk hairstyle, Mohawk people. But I didn't realize that, you know, other groups also had their own kind of like culturally specific hairstyles, right? And there's also like courtship rituals and forms of kinship and styles of rhetoric. And so, of course, you still have these large cultural areas in the Mesolithic, larger than some nation states. But you're starting to see a bit more specificity and a bit more diversity in in shorter um, spans of area. If we look at now, for example, where, you know, we have in the Amazon all these different languages and cultures that coexist merely kilometers from each other, I think the overall trend um, of human cultures, you know, over the past tens of thousands of years has been the opposite of marginalization. And it makes me think a bit about the whole concept of the nation state and how it tries to like bring people together to this like one narrow conception of what it means to be, you know, X, Y, Z and how humanity naturally seems to like resist that and naturally seems to like split off from that. Like even when you have situations with the forceful spread of English in, you know, the Caribbean colonies, you still see like a diversity springing up with a bunch of different unique Creoles and dialects making the language something different you know, if not for the enforcement of language standardization through the, you know, school system, I think we would actually see an even more rapid um, explosion of, you know, linguistic diversity developing out of these Creoles and dialects. You know, like a couple centuries from now, you know, Patois and Trinidadian Creole and British English may be entirely incompatible, even in... Britain itself you know you might have a case where London English and I don't know Sussex English or whatever starts to sound like entirely different and we already have that with accents but just to see how you know even in short spaces of time as short as a century or two because for example Trinidad um, was not always an English-speaking colony Um, we actually spoke French Creole for most of our history and only in the 19th century did we have that period of Anglicization where English was, you know, brought in. Um, and to see that in that short space of time, in that handful of centuries, that, you know, Trinidad already has its own unique English-based Creole. You know, it's just fascinating to see. Um,
5: There's something really interesting to me about the way this process plays out because it's, it's, it's almost like... Because okay, so you, you have this sort of, like... Like you have this period in the Mesolithic. Um, All the period names are blanking out of my head, but like like 40. Yeah. So like you have this period where you have kind of like you have a lot of cultural standardization, like spread across a long period, like a bunch of places. And it's used sort of as a mutual aid thing. It allows people to travel because you can go to a place and know that like there will be people who are like you there and they will take care of you. And, and it's interesting to me, it's like, okay, so this breaks apart as sort of, like, these these new cultures, like, as, as people develop local cultures around, like, food and around just, like, Graeber has this thing that he loves talking about that he's been talking about for ages called uh, schismogenesis, which is, like, you have two people, you know, it was, like, I think, I, I think the, his original example is, like, you have two people who are arguing with each other, and they, like, disagree minorly over, like, one thing, and then by the end of the argument, like, they're they've they've taken like completely mutually opposed identities to each other based on like right. an incredibly minor disagreement, and you get this with yeah you get like you get cultures to sort of like define themselves against each other, and like they have things that they like and things that they don't like. And it's interesting to me that that you see you see the state trying to sort of like reimpose the kind of like like forty thousand year old cultural homogeneity on all of these places that are like incredibly not homogenous. But they're doing it for like the opposite reason. They're doing it because they need sanitization in order to sort of like make their make their bureaucratic like systems work better and make their sort of like
11: yeah, seen like, like a stage it, kind of thing.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also like like I mean this this was a huge thing. Everyone in the, in the, like the early the late nineties and early two thousands thought that like the extent of capitalism on the around the globe was going to like make, make everything exactly the same. And there's only going to be one culture, and that like kind of really didn't happen. But there was this real sort of. I don't know. Like there, there, the, there was this real sort of fear that that it wasn't just going to be the nation state spreading like homogenization, but the, like capitalism was going to sort of like spread homogenization. And I guess, I guess, the thing that they wound up doing instead was like figuring out that you could just sell everyone into their individual cultural
11: niche. Which, to some not, extent, yeah, because like we see yeah. a McDonald's in the U.S. and a McDonald's in Bangladesh and a McDonald's in Japan, and they sell all the same McDonald's stuff, but they've also like sort of specified their you know, specific country.
5: Yeah, we have the worst version. The US is the worst version of it, by the way. Like, <laughs> the, the, uh, uh, the, like, Taiwan has one that has, like, they have, like, rice, uh, sticky rice patties. It's, it's so much better than
11: the US. Yeah, one. I mean, I will say, though, if I did end up traveling to Taiwan, I, McDonald's would probably be the last place I would want to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we wound up eating there and we,
5: we were, we had to catch a plane. And so we wound up eating, like, <laughs> Um,
11: Taiwanese, Taiwanese McDonald's. Yeah, Taiwanese
5: McDonald's airport food because we had like five minutes. It was
11: a... You know what they say about airplane food. (laughs) 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 Um, But yeah, that's exactly what's well to get into, actually. The whole idea of cultural differentiation, you know? Um, And this, this tendency that humans have to subdivide and to distinguish themselves from their neighbors. And I mean, it's natural to assume that, you know, this differentiation comes from like differences in, like, language, you know, with, you know, language splitting off over the centuries and people associating with their native language and ethnicity, but that really tell the full story, you know, like, for example, in Northern California in the early 20th century, the ethnolinguistic map uh, had really a jumble of languages that drew from entirely different language families, you know, as distant from one another as, like, Arabic and Tamil and Portuguese. And yet, these groups still shared, you know, broad similarities. You know, how they went about gathering and processing food, you know, their most important re- religious rituals, how they organized their political life. Um, and they also managed to keep themselves distinct. You know, you had the Urok and the Hupa and the Karok, and so forth. And I mean, to some extent, these identities did map onto linguistic differences, but their neighbors who spoke different languages still had more in common with them than people who came from their same language family in another part of North America. Of course, you know, European colonization had like a severe impact on like how Native Americans were distributed. Um, but we still tend to see this trend of how like these modern nation states, they went around at the time to, you know, order populations into these neat ethnolinguistic groups. You know, this idea that the world should be divided into these, like, homogenous units with their own history and everyone has a claim to, like, a certain territory and all that. It's, been, it's really a, a concept that is born onto this mythology of the nation-state. And, you know, of course, we had to be real careful before we project those kind of uniformities back in time.
5: Yeah, it's, it's definitely really, like, 200 years old. Like, it's it's pretty young.
11: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, um... There are some concerns, you know, with the concept of culture areas, because that whole notion of culture areas came out of North American museums who wanted to arrange their stolen artifacts to illustrate their theories of the different stages of human adaptation, you know, like lower lower savagery and upper savagery and lower, lower barbarism and so on. And so they had to determine whether they were going to organize these artifacts based on, like, language family or regional clusters um or some sort of like traced history of 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 regional of ancient migrations right eventually they realized that you know this way of organizing into regional clusters seemed to work best where the art and technology of different eastern woodlands tribes had some very similar um things in common compared to like trying to group people based on, like, say, the Athabascan language or all the people who relied on fishing or all the people who cultivated maize. Um, and they were able to find similar patterns in the Neolithic villages of Central Europe, you know, finding these regional clusters of domestic life and art and ritual. And so, like, this whole cultural area concept was kind of a way of pushing back against this way of, you know, Talking about human history that like ranked populations into higher or lower anything, you know this this idea of of claiming that you know people were of a certain superior genetic stock and had reached a certain advanced level of technological evolution, and so rather this there's been a, there was a shift in anthropological focus to look at the diffusion of more cultural traits like ceramics and sweat lodges and you know, the treatment of young men or certain sports. Um, And so they wanted to try to understand how these different tribes of certain region came to share this mesh of culture traits. So one of the people who were thinking on this, you know, whole culture traits cluster idea um, was a guy named Boas, right? And he wanted to figure out why it is that, like, geography seemed to define the circulation of ideas, you know, with like mountains and deserts forming these natural barriers, and how basically the diffusion within those regions was basically historical accident. Alipo hypothesizing that there was some sort of like, way to eventually develop a kind of a natural science, developing how, and even predicting, the ebb and flow of styles, habits, and social forms. And eventually, Marcel Mauss pulls up, you know, and he's basically talk. He basically like writes a bunch of essays on nationalism and civilization, and he says basically, this whole idea of cultural diffusion is nonsense because it's based on a false assumption, and the false assumption is that the movement of people, technologies, and ideas is some sort of rarity, something unusual. Instead, Mauss argues that like people in past times traveled even more than people do today. And it's just that when these people interact with people of other cultures and they see their cultural traits, they reflect on that and find a way to relate that to their own cultures, right? So like people who were traveling back then, obviously all of them, you know, were aware of basketry, you know, or, or, or featherworks or whatever the case may be. That other people were using a couple miles away seemed to be said for like certain drum rhythms or certain you know games or like for example he spent some time focusing on the distribution of the ball games around the pacific ocean around the pacific rim um, from japan to new zealand to california and What he realized is that whether people pick up certain ideas, certain traits from other cultures comes down to how they'd want to be defined against their neighbors, against their closest neighbors. The question becomes less about why certain culture traits spread, but why other culture traits didn't. Because if you're aware of all the things that your neighbors and stuff are doing, all these foreign customs and arts and technologies, I mean, we know that the Silk Road, for example, even if we talk about the Silk Road, you know, we had a Silk Road going from China all the way into Europe and all across the Silk Road, all across Central Asia and West Asia. And despite that constant, you know, sharing of ideas, not every idea that, you know, came from China or came from Persia or... I don't know if Peugeot was around during the Silk Road, but you know what I'm saying? Like, not every idea that was along the Silk Road everyone necessarily picked up on, even if it was a technology that might have benefited them. Because cultures are effectively structures of refusal. So, for example, um, there's this guy on YouTube, um, Religion for Breakfast. He did a video recently on the pork taboo in certain cultures and certain religions right and one of the things he pointed out was that the taboo tends to be strengthened in times of like repression so for example or in times of cultural um definition so for example he was pointing out that in the period of roman conquest the jewish people were more inclined to define themselves as, you know, against the consumption of pork compared to the Romans, you know, for example, the Chinese are the people who use chopsticks, you know, they don't use knives and forks, or so you're the Thai are the people who use spoons and so on, you know, it could just be say, said that, you know, it's like aesthetics, like styles of art or music or table manners, of course, those things weren't differ. But even, like, technologies that have, like, an adaptive or utilitarian benefits might still be re- might, might still be refused by people who might even benefit from them. Like, for example, the Athabascans in Alaska refuse to use Inuit kayaks, despite the fact that they are a lot better suited for the environment than their own boats. And the Inuit, for example, don't use Athabascan snowshoes. Um, At least in the time that, Marcel Mauss writing. And then, of course, this is a self-conscious process. You know, this is a process where a debate and discussion of all these different customs would have been occurring. You know, for example, in the Chinese courts, when different foreign styles and customs would, you know, come into the lands, there would be debates and arguments put forward by, you know, the kings and their advisors and their vassals, you know discussing you know whether they would ride the horses or drive chariots or adopt like the Manchu dress codes and 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 customs, and so societies Mao said live by borrowing from each other, but they define themselves by the refusal of borrowing than by its acceptance. The question of how culture areas form and how cultures split off is definitely a political one. The decision to adopt um, a certain form of agriculture, or to cultivate a certain crop, more specifically, or to adopt a certain style of dress. It's not just like a matter of like mere utility. Of male or caloric advantage or material efficiency. Or it's also a reflection on a questioning of the values that that group of people holds or purport to hold, who they consider themselves to be. I like to think about the development of cultures, you know, I like to think about how our ancestors or distant ancestors even considered themselves. You know, it's easy to just fall into this trap because it's a very common cultural trope that, you know, once you go before the invention of writing or whatever, all of our ancestors are just like ooga-booga cavemen kind of thing. But to think of them as self-conscious and politically... um conscious politically considerate thoughtful actors not you know static or passive props um, just i think it's it's i think it's just very cool <laughs> i think it's very cool and i think that we should keep you know these developments these this recognition in mind as we you know in the modern time Look to try to transform the cultures we live under, and to try to develop new values, new values of like anti-authoritarianism and anti-capitalism, and of you know a greater priority on mutual aid and on egalitarian social relations.
5: Yeah, I th- I think there's a lot of very interesting political consequences. Of, of thinking about this because like I think there, there, there's sort of like two tendencies that that we sort of get stuck in when we think about like our social structures which is there's there's the there's one which is the sort of like I guess it's called like capitalist realism which is the assumption that like nothing else could possibly like this is the only system that works nothing else can possibly exist and that's unproductive and you know, you go back and you look at like any other culture or society and it's like, well, no, like there's, there's like <laughs> an unbelievable, like nearly infinite number of ways you can organize your society. But then I think, I think the second one is that like, yeah, if, if if you look at this sort of cultural diffusion and cultural refusal stuff, you 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 see a lot of examples of people doing stuff that like under sort of like classical economic or like sociological laws they shouldn't be doing right like there, there's no reason why you shouldn't use a more efficient canoe if you're in a place of the, of the part of the world that's like extremely hard to survive in right and and i think that there's this tendency to sort of like reduce culture and reduce just all of the ways that our social and political systems function to these sort of like oh they're the product of these like abstract historical forces and like ah it's all like it's all determined by technology and like how you farm and stuff and that's just not true
11: yeah I mean, not like, to say that not. material conditions aren't you know very important in understanding um you know how these cultures develop, and that's one part of um' everything that I found was a bit lacking. I think that not all the time those dots were clearly connected um, I'd say. but I do think people put too much stock in solely material and materialist um explanations and that kind of ends up precluding or leaving out the more messy human realm of explanation
5: yeah and, and I, I think i think part of why this happens is that like it, it's much if, if, if you assume everyone is like behaving according to historical forces or like the thing that they're trying to do is like maximize um they're trying to like maximize their utility or they're trying to like maximize the amount of calories they have it, that that's a very easy thing to like New, like think about numerically right like it's a very easy thing to refuse the numbers it's extremely difficult to refuse the numbers like to reduce to like reduce to numbers a society that is like i'm going to i'm going to intentionally make my life harder for myself because this is the way we do things and we've decided we don't want to do things like other people we've decided that we have some kind of political value that we have that makes it such that we're going to like induce difficulty into our lives and like that I don't know like that that kind of stuff the 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 fact that culture is not just a sort of like superstructure that gets pro- that's like a product of like some kind of economic base like that that is very important and something that gets ignored or downplayed constantly that I think I don't yeah and like I think like yeah I think I think you can argue that don't everything like maybe goes too far in the other direction but I'm I'm sort of okay with that just because we've been so far on the side of, like, everything is historical forces for so long that you need something to remind people that, like, societies make conscious political choices, and not only have they made conscious political choices for, like, tens of thousands of years, uh, like, we also can make conscious political choices <laughs> that yeah. are not just sort of, like, pure reflections of, like, However many tons of iron have been extracted and like what percentage of like workers are currently working in hospitals versus like making cookies or something. Right.
6: Thank you for that OOO analysis, Chris. Really. <laughs> I, I agree. That that's a joke like twelve people will get. I I I love you if you if you understand that joke.
5: Also, I'm sorry.
11: <laughs> Yes, yeah, so you can wrap it up, Carson.
6: um, all of this has been very fascinating what what I've learned the most is that I need to finish reading all my books so that I can read the dawn of everything um <laughs> I know i I like I like got it from my dad for Christmas because um. Because I, I knew that it would be, uh, at least I think I did. My memory could be—I could actually be wrong. I could have only intended to get it for my dad for Christmas, and then forgotten to actually get it. But I've been meaning it to—I've been meaning to both buy it for myself and get it for other people. Um, because I've heard a lot of interesting things about the book, so it is definitely on my list. Uh, it's been a pleasure listening to uh, you all uh, discuss it. Um, Andrew, where can if people want to check out more of uh, your your work, where could where could they go about that?
11: Right. So you can still find me on Twitter at underscore Saint Drew when I'm not um hiding. And you could also find me on YouTube, Andrewism, youtube.com slash Andrewism, where I post videos about also stuff, random stuff, you know, that I'm thinking about politics, history. All that jazz.
6: A, a, a few days ago, as of time of recording, um, uh, Andrew put out a, a wonderful video on uh, solar punk stuff. Um, I have no idea when this episode will air, so this it's probably been like a month or two or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, definitely check out uh, the Andrewism channel. It's one of my favorite spots to uh, watch something when I feel like I can't put any words on the page. I, I go watch your things because it's very helpful. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So that does it for us today. Uh, you can find us at Twitter at on Twitter and Instagram at happenherepod colson media. You can find me posting about hyperobjects and liminal spaces at HungryBowtie.
5: And I heard that you have a Twitter, Chris. Yeah, it's at @itmechr3. Uh you can find me mostly complaining about other people who are doing (laughs) communism wrong i guess that's most of what i post about love that for you Uh, Uh, you too will be able to differentiate between the 16 different actually that's not even sure there's not even 16 there used to be long ago in a galaxy far far away i made a decision and that was that uh, i was going to sacrifice my brain to understand the different kinds of maoism and if you too want to understand why it still exists and all twenty thousand varieties of them uh yeah go there if you don't want to do that do not you'll be happier.
6: Well, what a ringing endorsement. Uh <laughs> goodbye everyone. Go uh I don't know. Oh,
5: should we should we should we plug, should we plug the other shows
6: that we uh, have? I guess everyone's tuned out at this point. I hope they've all stopped the podcast player. <laughs> okay. So I think I think uh some... will be free. <laughs> yes, go outside and be free. There I can you can you can edit that into something that is more concise. Sorry, Daniel slash Ian. I don't care.
0: Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do, too. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
11: I am the ferryman.
10: In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket?
5: It's well. It, it 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 is the podcast. It could happen here, but for once, it is not about the world falling apart. It is entirely about putting it back together again. Uh, and and joining me to talk about putting it back together again is uh, zero of the other people who are normally on the podcast. But I'm, I'm joined by Shannon and John Hieronymus, who are part of the team of organizers working on the Dual Power Gathering. Uh, Shannon, John, welcome, welcome to the show.
16: Hi, thank you.
5: Hey. So I guess the first part of the dual power gathering is dual power and I think we should walk through what actually that is and what our sort of visions for it look like because I mean I know we've talked about this on the show before but that was a very very long time ago by which I mean like probably only like seven months but you know feel, feel, feels like ancient history so yeah I guess do you two want to talk about what dual power is and how how to do
16: yeah sure I'm gonna stop trying to think about what happened seven months ago and I can't <laughs> I'm to have that okay When you said that I was just like oh wow okay no never mind um so dual power John how about I uh, go ahead and share with our audience well what is sort of the poetic language that we have up on the website from the the organizers. And then we can kind of like break it down and talk about it. Um, yeah, yeah dis- that,
9: that cool. works for me. All
16: right, so uh, f- the website text is such. Uh, Dual power is a way to imagine the moment just before our movements converge as the possible becomes the actual. When the seeds of social transformation we have sown for generations bloom, when the old world begins to wither, and new worlds can be born. is a way of thinking about how we got to that moment and beyond it. Dual Power is the project of building self-determination, mutual aid, solidarity, and direct democracy in our communities by creating spaces that empower us all and from which new emancipatory institutions can emerge. It's so pretty.
9: <laughs> yeah. Um, so what does that mean? <laughs> So what does that mean? Um, First off, I want to say like a shout out to... A lot of people have been working on this vision of what dual power is for uh, years and years now. And that includes uh, a lot of groups um, that we are either in conversation with or have been taking inspiration from. Um, One of the biggest and I think most developed groups uh, that's uh, doing that work is Cooperation Jackson, Jackson, Jackson Mississippi. Um, and uh, I think the goal is I, people went out, uh, oftentimes when people just like hear dual power, if they don't have any other um, context for it, but they are maybe from the left, they've heard about this moment in uh, the Russian revolution when there were these two competing like, uh, you know, bases of power in like uh, Russian society while they're undergoing this like revolutionary change. And uh, Lenin wrote a, like a pamphlet about it, calling it the dual power and looked at it as like a thing that needed to be like overcome by, you know, workers in Russia um, to like establish a workers' state, um, which it kind of outlined in a book called State and Revolution and but when we look at what they were describing we kind of look at this as a thing that emerges in any time when there's a social revolution kind of unfolding in a society where you have various classes who are like changing like social relations so uh, workers peasants um different groups of people who like have like a class have come together around a class interest and overthrowing their oppression and they, they have to go through stages of building their collective power, their collective identity their, um and their uh, kind of like overall strategic movement in a particular direction. Um, and they create this tension between the existing state order and a newly emerging like uh, like social revolution that's like overthrow challenging uh and overthrowing that like um power so that maybe, being maybe said I, okay. yeah, <laughs> so,
16: say, yeah, we want to ground that we want to ground that a little bit in yeah. a like less historicized uh context or whatever we could say maybe that's the work that we're doing to build up the institutions and relational structures that we need to care for ourselves and each other um as we move through uh, sort of like different states of um, like institutional organization in the society, right? So when we're thinking about how do we meet our basic needs together in ways that are not dependent on the oppressive institutions that we're trying to overthrow, we're talking about dual power.
9: Yeah, and it's like anytime working class folks, and it's like in a broad definition, Communities, people who aren't necessarily working but like depend on like uh, taking care of each other, or who do the work of reproducing every you know society, um, basically build their own independent power, like uh, to ch- like to be able to fight back and to challenge the you know the status quo. So, like, there's a lot of things that are kind of percolating that we've been like uh, that have been happening in North America that takes inspiration from areas of the global south, um, but also our own homegrown like um, traditions. Um, so, that could mean anything from like your local mutual aid network to uh, your local tenant union to like a rank and file. Um, union of like Amazon workers or teachers or care workers, um, you know, whose existence puts them in conflict with the state capital um, and like patriarchy, settler colonial relations, um, you know, like indigenous water protectors, um, folks who are building up places where the more developed it becomes the more it kind of builds its own momentum and you have spaces that are like autonomous, fully like autonomous regions from like state power and to begin to like pick apart at capital and like reconfigure our um, like relations of like how we make things and do things and take care of each other in like fundamental ways.
16: And we have lots of beautiful examples of this from the like organizing history not even that long ago and people will be familiar with some of the Black Panther programs or some of the programs that were integrated into the uh, farm workers movement and some of the programs that were put together by the anarcho-feminists who were trying to uh, support women's bodily autonomy and secure abortion rights through things like um, mutual aid, healthcare, and and things like that. So we'll see, there's like a lot of really beautiful examples uh, of this work happening over time around successful organizing movements. And we're all really excited about what's going on now. And we want to see that just to sort of come together and flourish.
5: I think it's important to think about dual power as something that's like, I I don't know, like, I, I think there's a lot of people who look at it as sort of like, dual power is planting a garden. It's like, I mean, sort of, yes, but like, there's you know the there, there's there's sort of two components of it right there's there's this sort of there's a defensive component and an offensive component there there's a component that's about taking care of each other and there is a component that is attack right there's 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 a component that is the people who are preventing us from taking care of each other need to be stopped from doing that and so yeah i think i i think it's important to yeah think about different kinds of like different kinds of institutions that you would not normally think of as doing the same thing as being part of the same struggle and yeah i guess that brings us to what you two and a lot of other people have been working on for god this has been this this has been in the works for a long time uh mm-hmm. yeah which 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 is the which is the, the this uh dual power gathering and yeah i guess you two want to talk about what what that is because Try. yeah
16: Yeah. Well, you know, we've all been sitting around the past couple of years dreaming about being together. (laughs) And so I think this is kind of the fruit of that dream, right? Coming up at the end of July, uh, we're inviting everyone out to the Indiana Dunes for a camping trip. Uh, And during that time, um, we're hoping to see a collaboratively produced uh, event that incorporates everything that the participants can bring to it which we know far exceeds the uh sort of even the scope and vision of the organizing body so we're like really trying to um just create a space for people to come together who are interested in these ideas who have various levels of experience working with it that will be valuable to everybody from people who are brand new to this stuff and just want to learn more about it to people who have, have been doing it for years, for decades even. Um, and yeah, that's sort of, sort of the the underlying ambition of it is to get people together in space. So, you know, a lot of us have been to these kinds of events before and felt like the most important thing that we got out of that was the relationships that we were able to build and the people that we were able to meet that we could then carry on ongoing dialogues with and that we could find inspiration, uh, in, in those dialogues and in those connections that would birth new projects that, you know, we don't yet know are even possible. And so this is kind of, at least for me, like that's the really important and exciting force of the, of the, the plan.
9: <laughs> yeah. I think that like they're cool. The, some of the things about this I think are really like it's been like really a collaborative effort to come up with this thing. Like we had the discussions about this is a thing that need that we thought need to happen because at the end of like by the end of the middle of 2021 we we're like look clearly we've all been through so many different experiences over the last 10, 15, 20 years at this point. Some of us are getting to be elders. <laughs> and um we uh and we need to like um it feels like it's now is an excellent a, a really great time to have like a actual conversation about where we where we're com- where we are uh, where we're coming from and where we're going and how do we translate these experiences into like networks of like trusting relationships and sharing um a sharing of all this knowledge is like we need to debrief like the like the past 5 years i think in particular have been like it's like crammed it feels like you know the whole saying like some some years nothing happens and some you know and some months decades happen mm. paraphrasing or whatever <laughs> and it's like so much stuff has come we've all gone through so many things and come to like uh and we're seeing people who didn't have like maybe uh, a stance on various political things or are like seeing their communities torn apart by like the, the real lived experience of like climate change and want to and need to do something about it, that sort of thing. Like bringing in people who have lots of experience with people who have maybe are just now figuring things out and really kind of like using and uh, taking this as a t- an opportunity to maybe to generate new knowledge so that we're going to be like kind of like clarifying what we've gone through and where we're heading and um, get people like in the same space who like might as a like I do a lot of union shit so I'm always thinking about how do I get like rank-and-file union radicals in the same space as like a uh like a neighborhood abolitionist or a tenant union organizer or a community land trust and getting all these like different groups because together and then like thinking about how they overlap and support and build off of each other because we i think the operating theory of many of the people who are involved in this is that Every context is different where we're organizing, but many there are many kind of principles that can kind of translate across contexts. But the context will shape very like like the I was just talking with one of the organizers who's like 20 minutes away over in northwest Indiana and you're like in Gary and you know, uh those areas and their context for building something like a and ecosystem of dual power organizations is going to be very different from my context where I'm like down the street from this big, uh, global, um, center of, uh, capital. That's like university of Chicago and like, and it's doing all in my neighborhoods being gentrified by $2 billion corporations. And I've got a big nurse union. Whereas they're in the middle of, like, a neighbor, a community that's being actively divested and destroyed, like, just, like, eaten away at by, like, because capital just pulling out and has been doing that for basically as long as we've all been
16: on right, this earth. At the same time, y'all are dealing with the same, like, biosphere complications
15: and yes. climate
16: change implications. And yes. so, yeah, we're thinking about the ways in which like the kinds of affiliations that make sense for us to be successful in our projects are like, you know, look, they're not just, they're not just local. They're not just national. They're not just continental. There's like a lot of different things that are going on there. And that the only way for us to really like sort out who uh, we need to be in coalition with on any particular issue is to know everybody uh, and to try to understand better their, their specific context and their specific experiences. And I think there's like, you know, I think, you know, to, to John's point about, you know, how much has changed in the last, uh, you know, handful of years or whatever. I think one thing that we've all come away from is the pace of change is pretty humbling, you know? Um, I think we definitely all, we got to, we got, we took in a bit of the, of humility around, around that. What is it, that we actually need to do we are definitely not prepared for it (laughs) you know and it doesn't matter how many decades we've been doing this organizing work we just are not ready uh, for how quickly things are changing right now and the only way for us to get ready is to make sure that we shore up and strengthen the networks of people that we can rely on to produce kind of positive interdependence um as we move forward with the continued chaos that is the contemporary world.
9: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then part of this is also like thinking about, um, because the way this is structured, this isn't just like a series of panel discussions where we've like the organizers have curated, like here you're gonna listen to, you know, uh so and so who's like, you know, a prominent tenant organizer or so and so is like a prominent like uh like in like climate change, direct action work, like w- the goal is, is that we like specifically chose a format and like officially it's called like, like an un- unconference, but the way <laughs> I think of it is, it's like, which, it, which comes out of tech, which I find kind of irritating, but that doesn't, but the the core of the idea of the thing is, is that we're coming into this space and generating new knowledge not necessarily sitting there and receiving a bunch of knowledge from people who we designate as like movement leaders or experts. That doesn't mean that people who don't have a lot of experience and a lot of like skills aren't going to be there. It just means that we're going to be... Because one of my things is popular education coming from the tradition of like Palo Frere and like um, everybody learning together. is Mm -hmm. like It's like taking those principles and kind of like doing them in parallel in various circles where there'll be a circle here of like cooperative or uh, organizers or people who want to get co-ops off the ground. There'll be a circle here of people doing land trust work. There'll be a circle here of like unionists. There'll be a, cer- a circle here of uh, people doing like abolition uh, work and or, intra- or people who are interested in all those things are getting those sorts of things off the ground. And as they work through like a, like they present, tell stories, share ideas, do debriefs on like the various things that we've all been going through over, you know, whatever, how far back our timeline is, depending on how far, uh, which elders decide to, uh, attend. Um, but then taking that knowledge with our facilitators and then being like, you know what, I think that these two conversations are happening kind of like in parallel would be better if they were merged together. And beginning to kind of like build that sort of like, and so the idea isn't to necessarily come away with like a pre like we're not setting up like a like a predetermined set of conclusions for people. We believe, and based off of we've been having monthly community calls for people who are going to be attending all the different uh, groups of folks who will be coming to this is going to be I think like the depth of uh, experience is going to be really phenomenal, um, and people coming from. We definitely have people confirmed who are coming from Canada, people who we may be having folks with experience, the in indigenous communities in, uh, in Mexico. We may be having, we're I'm fairly confident we're going to have people who are like, just come from areas like Northern Syria and Iraq um, and taking all these different ideas and experiences and then generating next, like coming to new conclusions maybe unexpected conclusions or things that we didn't quite uh, that we weren't anticipating but I mean, coming
16: asking new questions yeah. right like this is a, a kind of a, it's intended to be a prefigurative space for engaging with things where we don't know what the right answer is and i think we all need to really sit with the fact that we do not have like a clear right solution to the problems that we're facing right now like i've been uh kind of pulling on the slogan a little is like no gods, no masters, no right answers, you know, just like <laughs> get used to it. <laughs> we need to be more creative and we need to be more open to experimentation. And, you know, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be coming at us fast. And, you know, this is a, it, we, we, we hope this can be a space where we can kind of take some time to slowly get square with what it is we're going to have to be thinking about, even if we don't know what to do exactly yet. So
9: I had a, I had a really good experience where I was listening to like one of the, like a person who came out of act up, uh, giving a talk in my, in my neighborhood. And she was saying, because we had had questions, is this going to be about a a lot of theory? Are we going to be talking about a lot of abstract stuff? And, um, this, uh, organizer was like, you know, act up had no theory. Right. They did, they took action and the theory followed afterwards. And so the idea that we're like necessarily having coming to this with like the right answers already figured out is just not like something that I think is going to be a super generative discussion. The idea of coming up with like coming up with orientations and thinking about like where we are heading kind of in a general sense. And then seeing how that unfolds and builds is, I think, um, a big key, a key aspect of what we're trying to do when we come to, uh, come together. Which is not July. to say,
16: yeah, which is not to say that there won't be theory because that's not up to us. That's up to y'all. So, <laughs> you know, um, I probably, you know, like I, what I'm really interested in is having conversations about uh, like community mental health care, you know? And like for me, the theory is less interesting than, you know, like talking about what we actually need in the spaces that we work in. But that's, you know, that's where I'm coming from. And everybody else is coming at this from their own perspective too. So I'm really excited to see what people bring to that space and what we can get out of it um, by just thinking that we all are contributing something constructive to that conversation.
9: Well, and then also there's going to be a lot of discussion about like literal practical skills. Like mm-hmm. here's how you like, here's how <laughs> you, uh, this has always been the perennial thing. This is how you pick a lock. This is how you, uh, this is how you organize comms at like a, at like a, uh, like on a picket line. This is how you um, pull together uh a demand letter for like a list for like tenants like you know these are the sorts of things that like we're gonna be talking we're gonna be doing concrete skill shares plus these discussions about our experiences and sharing our stories and you know hopefully we're gonna come away from this. a big goal of it is to um come up with a lot of like different like um just like content we're gonna be recording videos and uh, like uh, audio and like also, and then transcribing things and writing things up. But we're hoping that once we're done, we're going to have a big report that we can share out with people who can't attend.
16: Yeah, privacy concerns obviously considered. So
9: yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there. there this is a very the consent is a big is a big uh, thing with uh, us as organizers.
16: I should hope so. Yeah. <laughs>
9: You would think, but you know, not everyone yeah. is as is, is down as you yeah. would imagine.
16: Hey, so basically, we're building a perfect little utopia for like four days, and y'all come out because we're gonna fix the revolution. So, <laughs> <Just>
14: kidding, obviously. <laughs> on,
5: on 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 a more concrete level, like, what what does like a day here look like? Like, what are what are what are, what, are, what, are, what are we doing?
16: <laughs> oh, that's fun. That's a fun question. Ah, uh, if I may, John.
5: Yeah, yeah, go for it.
16: Um, What we're thinking right now, basically, is that a day it looks like we get up in the morning, we drink coffee, we have breakfast, and we have a little assembly check-in to see how things are going, if we need to make any major adjustments, and we put up a... Uh, sort of a schedule for the afternoon's events that was populated from the conversation that was happening in the evening, the night before, and anything that anybody wants to bring up to that schedule that happened between yesterday and this morning. Uh, then we're going to roll off into um, basically what would be some of the kind of like things we already know for sure that we wanted to see happening that we could get on a, on a sort of schedule ahead of time. So some of these shares that were planned that would require kind of like pre-planning or maybe some discussions that people reached out ahead of time that they definitely wanted to have. So that stuff would be happening earlier in the day um, that, you know, where we're talking about having sort of just like sandwich bars and, you know, make your own lunch kind of situations going on. There should be a lot of different things happening in different geographical locations on the site. So you kind of get, get a choice of where you want to go. It's not like there's one big event, um, we're going to try to group things that are sort of thematically similar in so that they're nearby each other in case you want to go around and see um, what the different kind of stuff is going to be. And then in the afternoon, it's going to be like, I mean, you okay, of course, this is like how we're intending right now. The afternoon would be the um, discussions and skill shares and events and circles and spaces that... Um, were generated out of the conversations that have been happening in the space so that people came and thought, you know, we had this conversation yesterday that really inspired me. Let's talk about this and I'm going to make space for that. So we're going to have big map where you figure out where you want to go and you're going to be able to wander around and meet people. We're trying to incorporate a lot of events that make it easier to meet other people that you don't know yet. Um, where There's going to be tables where you can do arts and crafts. There's going to be game space for whatever kind of games you want to play. There's going to be places for kids to hang out. There's going to be a quiet tent where you can take some contemplation time. You know, at some point we want to do a like a kind of grief circle for people to deal with what they've been kind of going through in the world, and you know, some uh, you know utopia envisioning arts space. You know, these kinds of things like where, um, you know, somebody wants to teach someone else a dance. Like that's the kind of thing that we're really hoping can go on in the afternoon. Uh, then we would be feeding everybody dinner. And we kind of had this idea we've been playing with that we would have two campfires after dinner. And at one campfire, we'll have kind of an open forum where anybody can talk for like 10, 15, 20 minutes, you know, whatever, however long people need, who are there, depending on how popular that is. And just kind of air everything that's in their head. And we'll have a note taker so we can try to incorporate what comes out of those discussions into the next day's agenda. Um, And so that's sort of like what we were what we were envisioning. And then for the other campfire, don't, it's people yeah, who don't want to so do don't, that. Don't, don't
9: forget this, the other the the other yeah. team, uh, the other campfire so, yeah. for people yeah, who are yeah, like, yeah. I'm done with talk. Yeah. <laughs> I need to just sit and stare at some flames for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> chill.
16: I imagine I'll be going back and forth between the fires. So, you know, that's also an option. Uh, but the idea is to get kind of like somewhere between, I think, what were we calling it? It's like somewhere between a conference and a music festival. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there, where you're able to sort of move around and you don't have to go and sit in one place and do like, okay, for this hour, this is where I, you know, it's like, it's, it's meant to be a bit more informal. Um, and we're hoping that that makes a lot more space for people to sort of explore and people to meet other people that they don't already know. I don't know if that, if that, if that sums up sort of like what I'm imagining. Because that's like, you know, that's the spirit. So I think if that's the question, like what does the day look like? Well, hopefully it's fun. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the main... The main thing we're thinking here is to make it a sort of low stress and low stakes place that we can talk about some of the highest stress and highest stakes questions that we have
8: to deal with. so
9: yeah, and like that being said, like because we're modeling it this way specifically based on people's experience with like the symbiosis uh, Federation's founding conference, that sort of thing where there were a lot of stakes and people were trying to kind of like funnel different discussions through different ways. And this is not a necessarily a critique of how that all went down. It's just like based on our, our experience and our experiences with those sorts of things. The goal is to, for this to be, if it's successful, the first of many of these sorts of things, um, many of these kinds of gatherings and discussions and to provide a model for how it could happen Mm -hmm. But to keep, um, we deliberately decided that this, we're not going to make like a bit, we're not going to have a big points of unity debate and discussion and voting on assembly sort of thing. We will use assemblies for, you know, certain things like setting up like our uh, community agreements and that sort of stuff and kind of like getting the days rolling and kind of getting the days closed. But the goal is like to not, is to, bring people into conversation who haven't who maybe don't have the basis of trust for those bigger collective mm-hmm. dis- like discussions yet but maybe they will later but the the goal is for now is we're we're getting uh we're building and expanding our networks we're building and expanding our trust with different people and building and expanding our knowledge so that we can go out and do the kind of work that we think we need to do to I don't know, survived as a species on this planet. So um, that's one of the reasons why if there are some people who are like, oh, I don't know, this seems really kind of wishy-washy. It's very, it does a very deliberate decision based mm-hmm. on previous experience from organizers who'd been to these sorts of things. And the goal is really to, to have a place where we can have discussions about high stakes issues without being so invested in it that we feel like if our concept of how to solve that problem doesn't come out as the like solution that we've somehow failed so mm-hmm. yeah, it's I like think, yeah
16: i was to say that, that i think one of the one of these things that you that you uh brought up there that's really important it's like not even just in these previous conferences or congresses or gatherings that we've been to have we seen this be a problem but basically at least i can speak for myself in a lot of organizing spaces that i've been in over the past you know like 15 years that I've been pretty active in in the organizing universe Um, basically that one of the main problems that we have with this kind of like space of trust that we definitely know that we need to be able to work together moving forward is that we don't really have shared language a lot of the time and we think we do because we use the same words but we often use them to mean different things or we often use different words to mean the same things as well, and that we come from kind of different organizing cultures and a lot of different places. Like that, some are more, or less. Uh, we should say that maybe that there there are different places where you show solidarity in a different way, you show good faith, and you show that you're committed in a different way. What it means to be democratic in a space seems different depending on this on the tradition that you that you maybe come from. So, what we're really hoping to do. It's kind of make space to incorporate all of that. So we were, we I was joking. It was a camping trip where many camping trips fit, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that like that there should be an opportunity for people to kind of like learn to talk past those, those barriers that we might have to, to understanding each other. And like that success would really look like people coming away like believing in other people's commitment to get this done and with the kind of contacts that they need to support each other moving forward as things come up in different places as opposed to just like here's a solution like here's a blueprint for how to get this done you know that relationship that you have with a person who's had that experience in the past is going to be way more valuable than any document they give you based on their experience because you're going to be able to say well shit i wasn't expecting this to happen like what do we do? And then you can talk through that with them. And like, that's really, I think that's really the foundation of our being able to share this knowledge with each other is that we have the opportunity to kind of engage in these ways that are like more focused on the kind of just uh, sort of dynamism of the, of the challenges that we're dealing with right now. So
9: Emergence is a big thing. Things are always going to like, things are always going to be changing. Like, uh, we are, we need to be prepared to deal with a world that's going to be throwing challenges at us that like, we haven't like, we haven't had solutions for. And mm-hmm. like, because we're going through this like really kind of like catastrophic, like, uh, moment of like, uh, climate change and um and i mean i don't know how else to say it but like in and so it's just like engendering the idea the idea that we're constantly evaluating what's happening around us uh both like at our local level and across the you know, regions and globally and then taking new knowledge in and coming up with new solutions um In a real like in like a truly experimental way, like thinking about things like experiments and how we're going to like come up with new solutions to these problems, because it's just well, like as we kept telling people, because when we're out there. uh, Trying to bring groups in, everyone's telling us our capacity, this sounds great, our capacity is incredibly low. Uh, and that has just been across the entire like spectrum of organizations, yeah. and that includes huge, big, put together organizations like you know unions versus little mutual aid groups. Everybody mm-hmm. is dealing with this like feeling of exhaustion and like capacity. Our goal is to get people together so that they can build capacity um, through these discussions. And be prepared for things because capacity is always going to be an issue. And our goal is to get people to this point where because their, um, their mindset is, okay, new challenge, let's think about it critically and come up with solutions that fit this moment as opposed to keep trying to force things into um, preset, like easy, I mean, I don't want to say easy, but like. I think that sometimes, like everyone's trying to mine history for the like the, the one weird trick to solve all these problems. And I think that the one weird trick is that human beings are creative, critical thinking machines. Like our our brain is like this thing for taking in information and generating new new thought and action. And we need to embrace that um, because if we don't, I don't think we're going to be very successful.
16: Certainly, in in these times of, of just increasing uncertainty, that kind of humility and flexibility and, like, continued building of comfort with that uncertainty is going to be super essential to our being able to maintain even sort of, like, the basic ability to take action, I think. So we're going to have to, like, continue to, like, to lean into that uncertainty and to sort of, I think, you know, like, kind of historically, the being comfortable with things changing and being comfortable with uncertainty is actually one of our great strengths, right? Cause we can actually start to get moving while everybody else is still going, what the hell? You know? And so I think, you know, that's going to definitely be something that's going to serve us. And um, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I,
5: I, I have, I have one last uh, question on an extremely practical level, which is like, what, what is the like facility situation here? Like mm-hmm. how, what, what are, what are people sleeping in? Uh, so
9: like in right now we like we have a camp space reserved for 200 people um and so we understand that camping is not always super accessible but we are very fortunate that like the national lakeshore has specific accessible facilities um for folks and we do have uh disabled like uh comrades coming to this event and we're working on making sure that those uh that their particular needs don't um keep them from participating fully in the events there's <clears throat> the discussions and circles themselves will be um at like shelter space um a bit away from where the uh, camping is happening so we're organizing transport between those two spaces um for people who cannot camp we are uh working on organizing some hotel space for folks um and then for people who can camp but don't have any equipment our goal is to we're going to um basically acquire um, like enough camping equipment for a sizable chunk of folks to come and uh it's like literally today walking through a walmart with my uh, daughter looking at their camp equipment uh, and pricing out things like sleeping bags and camp, uh, like, uh, sleeping mattresses, and uh, tents, that sort of thing. So
16: yeah. If, if people have, have stuff they want to donate to the cause too, like, I think we should be able to take some of that in. I think we were just talking yesterday about the uh, possibility of having, uh, like camp gear repair zone. So if you have things that you find at the thrift store that like a torn tent or something like that will help you fix it. You know, we just want to make sure that everybody has these uh, supplies as well, because they're, they're broadly useful. I know I've used my camping gear in uh, some uh, politically motivated ways in the past. So I think that it's not bad for people to have it if you need it. Just say
9: Also, uh, you know, the camping aspect of it is also it's more of a feature than a bug. Like there's like a, like, so to, so to speak, like the pandemic is not over yet as we're like seeing, right. Um, In spite of everything that like uh, the ruling class is desperately trying to get us to uh, agree to. And so having um, the accommodations outside and doing the, um, doing the actual events, like out, out of doors where there's lots of ventilation. We think it is like right now, one of the events so that we're not going to get so that people aren't going to come away from this um, getting sick, which is really important. Um, mm-hmm. From I mean, as a person who's recovering from COVID, uh, COVID round two, um, and as a healthcare worker, that was one of our big uh, concerns because we, we, when we started making these plans, we really weren't sh- sure what was going to be happening terms of the pandemic and having it out of doors was just like a surefire way that we knew that we could, at the very least, we could minimize the chances that people would be getting sick from just showing up and being in the same space together.
16: Absolutely. And we're definitely encouraging people who are coming together with friends and comrades in little groups to self-organize their camps as much as they would like to do that, um, to sort of make plans together, to limit the um, you know, the, the need for, for spaces, you know, with sharing up tents and all this kind of stuff, which uh, to the extent that people are comfortable with that, that, you know, people, if you need to get in touch with people from around, you, if you don't know anybody, you can reach out to us. If we know anybody else who's looking for somebody to try to coordinate with, we'll definitely put you in touch. So something we want to be able to do is like offer some of these connective services to help people kind um, of link up with people who are coming from from their areas or people who are interested in the same kinds of things um and so we're kind of thinking our, of ourselves in the organizing body as facilitators of those connections and trying to like imagine how what we do will make those connections most likely to to happen um so in terms of the of the facilities as well i think we we talked about trying to get some camp stoves together for people who need to use sort of a kitchen space to try to limit the amount of things that people need to bring for that, but definitely feel free, uh, to bring, bring your own stuff and, and, and set up whatever, whatever you need. And let us know if you need help from us, we'll, we'll do our best to accommodate that.
9: And people are getting fed. Like, so we're Mm -hmm. planning on having meals uh, arranged and that'll be vegan. And, uh, with the caveat that folks who, want to have separate food can like do their own self-organized like cooking if that's a thing that they, that they're really committed to. Um, and we're planning on having like all the necessities of like lots of water, making sure that like we've got, um, first aid lined up. There's going to be street medics who are participating in the work of organizing all that harm reduction. Um, and just generally like, uh, like some of the other things that, we haven't really mentioned, it's like, we know that we're bringing a bunch of people with a lot of big ideas and big personalities together and that means we're probably going to have to deal with some conflict. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, having um, conflicts, uh, like people who are good at mediating conflict, we're going to have like, a, a crew of people who do that. We're working on um, like child watch training because this is going to be kind of like a family-friendly space. Um, making sure that we know how to take care of each other in case like shady people from outside try to do something like whatever, like our goal is to just make sure that like, this is um, as safe as it can be bringing people together, successful as, as it can be understanding the limitations of there's going to be, you're going to be outside. So there might be, you know, all the, some of the fun of having like a collective group of people all outside together, which can be a lot of fun. I, in yeah, my like, I'm, I'm waiting for karaoke and for, um, like, our open mic and people bringing out, like, instruments and, like, just having, like, you know, uh, we were even we discussing, like, um, you know, some soccer uh, potentially being a thing, um, determining, uh, like, placing bets on who's going to be more into soccer based on various ideological affinities <laughs> and past experience and um
16: yeah hit us up if you want to play some music if you've got an idea for something fun that sounds cool to do and just to, to come to circle back to this I think like with the point about conflict mediation I just want to make that like super clear just because we're not going to spend half a day trying to come up with community uh with po- the points of unity does not mean we don't have expectations about how you act in the space so Our plan is basically to say, like, don't be an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And then that means, you know, like in all the ways that we know uh, that those things can happen. And then if somebody accidentally is being an asshole or somebody's are accidentally being an asshole, like those are things we can we can manage because we all know what it is that we're doing here. Um, So it's definitely not a free for all. You know, it's a this is a space where the normal things we would expect in space are expected, you know explicitly yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah oh well i oh, i'm excited <laughs>
5: yeah me too um yeah I- i'm looking forward to people I-, I don't know i i don't actually know how widespread bonfires are in the u.s but we do a lot in the midwest and bonfires are a great time I- i'm excited ah. for people to experience that it's it's great. love it um yeah so i guess um do you two have anything closing that you want to say? And also where can people find this and attempt to go to it? And also when is it happening? Because that's, that's another important.
9: It's going to be July uh, 29th through the 31st. Um, and attendance is uh, free. There's no, uh, there's no charge, but we are soliciting donations. So we're doing a fundraiser um, through open collective um, and we've been very generously uh, given uh, an offer of matching donations from uh, one of the organizers who got like a, got a little bit of a chunk of change to kind of contribute to that sort of thing. We're very um, excited about that. So, uh, if you go on to, you can follow us on Twitter, and uh, and I believe that's at uh, Dual Power uh, Twenty. Let me double check. I think it's at dual power gathering uh, is our Twitter, and um,
16: the website uh, is dual dual power 2022.org.
9: Yes.
16: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, if you go on the website, you'll find the links to everything you need to know. You can get in touch with us, you can, like, you know, give us your, your feedback if you love it, if you hate it, if you, you know, whatever. We're we're probably not going to change the whole thing right now, but show up and we can change it at the time.
9: (laughs) I'll also say we do have like a organizing discord and people who are like serious about like getting involved and want to have things like want to come to this and with things that they have specific visions for now is like absolutely time to get engaged with that because we're like, we're working towards making, uh, getting people into the, like, who are the participants to really own the event itself. So um, that'll be, like, that's something we have. I believe we're going to do probably two more community calls, one in uh, June and one in July. Every one of those calls has been really amazing. Lots of great people. Um, And during those calls, we're going to be doing some training on... Because you got to do some prep work when you're doing this kind of, like, generative discussion, like, popular education, like, unconference-style, um events like coming to them with a little bit of an understanding of what that looks like is really key to uh it being successful so um w- we encourage people who want to come get signed up and then you will get into our mailing list our mailing list is where we disseminate like when those calls are happening and you can also hop in our discord uh and as long as you're cool and agree to our community agreements we like bring you in and like get all sorts of shit together and we're very excited for people to come in uh, there's still a fair number of slots open for the event itself we're like almost halfway full so
16: yeah i mean definitely we're, we've been trying to think about this as an event that we would want to go to and we want it to be an event that you want to come to also so help us make it so <laughs> uh,
5: yeah that that's yeah th- th- this is really exciting i'm gonna be going to it uh... <laughs> Yeah. So Yeah, thank 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 you thank you to you both for for joining us for talking about this and I'm excited to I'm excited to see lots of people there.
9: Hey. Hey, I mean we've all been wanting to see each other for yeah, two and two and a half fucking years, right? Yeah. So I, I miss
16: just, your I, I miss seeing your face with dimension. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm sick of your flat face.
15: <laughs> for real. Well,
16: yeah. Thanks so much for having us on to talk about it. Yeah, uh, really looking forward
9: to it. I mean, we're getting closer and closer. It's just like, it just gets more exciting and also a little nerve wracking, but thankfully a lot of people have been stepping up and I'm very, I, I'm confident it's going to be really like a really great thing.
5: Yeah. And we, we will, we, we will have links to everything in in the show notes. Um, yeah. This has been, it Could happen here. You can find us in the usual places happen to your pod and stuff. All right. Goodbye. Have fun.
4: Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe.
7: It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather
2: any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com
12: products not available in every state discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy discounts do not apply to life insurance policies visit amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you american family mutual insurance company si and its operating companies american family life insurance company 6000 american parkway madison wisconsin
0: bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too